From beyond the farthest reaches of our galaxy they come. Two brains pulsing with a strange energy. These space brains come to share their love of science fiction movies. Welcome to Space Brains, the show where we joy watch sci-fi movies and then talk about what was good and what was great. I'm Surrey and this is Mark. Hiya! It's episode 59 and we are talking about science fiction film Eternal Sunshine of a Spotless Mind. Came out in 2004, Surrey. In this episode, we will reveal what we thought about the film, the ins and outs of the narrative, if this film had a narrative, well, plus what I can remember <laughs> of the narrative. What you can remember, yeah, because I deleted it. Of the film, plus a, we were looking at the film language because it is a film, plus a deep dive into a specific piece of science that the filmmakers are proposing. Eternal Sunshine of a Spotless Mind was directed by Michael Gondry and written by the one and only Charlie Kaufman. So if you sit down to watch this, expect your mind to be blown away. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. It's so interesting, in fact, we're going to spoil it later on. So this is your spoiler warning. Warning, warning. Go back, watch the film if you haven't. Watch the second time. Hey, why not? And then join us again as we discuss Everything, everything about this film. Everything and, everything and nothing, because I can't remember it. So basically, this film is about a relationship that turns sour. The couple undergoes a medical proce- procedure to have each other erased from their memories. Apparently that medical procedure requires Mark Ruffalo to jump on your bed. <laughs> so With Kirsten Dunst. Yeah, that, that's pretty cool. I've In their that, underwear. That would be. I've dreamt about that, I'm yeah. sure of it. I'm, I'm sure I'm sure you dreamed about Mark Ruffalo in his underwear. That's fine. Well, isn't he the Hulk? He is. Well, he's the, he's the, the latest version of the Hulk, latest right? version of Hulk. Yeah. There, there was a Ned Norton and a Eric Banner. Eric Banner. Eric Banner. If you're out there, Eric, let us know what you thought about Mark Ruffalo jumping around in his underwear with Kirsten Dunst. On Jim Carrey's bed. On Jim Carrey's bed. And why weren't you invited, damn it, Eric? Jeez. We all know Peter would have been, though. Porter. Porter. Uh, what was your number one takeaway from Eternal Sunshine of a Spotless Mind? I always get the title of this confused in my brain. Sorry. What was your number one takeaway? My number one takeaway is that you can use indie filmmaking techniques with big name stars. Definitely. To good effect. Well and truly. It was good. I, I love this film that it was all these stars. It was, I'm pretty sure Jim Carrey took the role yeah. because it, this smell, smell like Jim Carrey, his movies, particularly at that time of his career, mm. it was, he was into this sort of thing. And then, no doubt, Kirsten Dunst and Mark Ruffalo and Kate Elijah Winslet. Wood and Kate Winslet, they all heard, I do have Jim Carrey's doing some interesting movie or whatever. Mm. Yes, I will be in it. I can't think of any other reason why you'd get so many known names to all act together in this fashion. They must have taken a bit of a pay cut because it was a $20 million budget, so not huge uh, for the time. I mean, when we go back to then, I mean, Kirsten Dunst, Mark Ruffalo, 
I mean, are they just starting on their careers? They probably sort of are. Kirsten Dunst is a bit Spider-Man. Uh, I think that's yeah, a pretty similar vintage. Um, whereas Elijah Wood and Jim Carrey, obviously, you know, megastar. And Kate Winslet, you know, Titanic was a few years earlier. So. Yeah, it's only like six, seven years, like four, yeah. three, seven years earlier. But you do get this every often, don't you? Like a superstar like Jim Carrey, it's like comedy, comedy, comedy. And then they go, I want to make something weird, you know, get me something weird or get me Serious. a drama or I want to be a drama. Adam Sandler did it as well. Um, you know, and when you, when you just look at any of these actors, like the same with action stars, they always then suddenly look at doing a family comedy. Cop, they always have to do a kindergarten cop. <laughs> yeah, kindergarten cop. Uh, what, what's his name? The Rock did Tooth Fairy. You know, it's like they suddenly do something that... And they take a pay cut for it because they, they're they interested in changing their directory a bit, you know. Um, so I do think Jim Carrey took the huge sidestep on this because he was a bit over I've, Ace Ventura and Dumb and Dumber and those I kinds have, of films. I have to say that with Jim Carrey, much like Tom Hanks, my opinion is... Both of those actors start off as comedy actors, mm. much better dra- drama, yeah. serious actors. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Like Tom Hanks, as a comedian, was born out of a time where he just shouted as comedy. A bit like Steve Martin's comedy sort of tended in, in his movies, tended to devolve into shouting. Mm. You know, incredulous, I can't believe this is happening! <laughs> and Jim Carrey was heading that way too. And when... Tom Hanks went and did say his, he did like the You Got Mail and then I guess Castaway most we did famously the ro- yeah yeah we and, did the romantic comedy first sort of thing didn't he and, and then and then shifted over yeah and yeah I think he was he was brilliant in Castaway yeah oh and yeah Castaway. Jim Carrey likewise he sort of doing these comedies stuff Truman Show I think mm. was where he moved in still you could say there was some comedic elements in there in Truman but it was yeah. most certainly not a comedy. Yeah. And then after that, he went and did his, what, 20, number 23? Number 23. And I mean, is that a sci-fi film, number 23? Oh, it's kind of psychological yeah. deep dive, isn't it? And, and I then, think even Truman shows kind of sci-fi as yeah, well. Yeah, there's definitely a sci-fi. A sci-fi there. Psychological experiment. And then, yeah, and then this uh, Spotless Mind. Mm. Yeah, like, I, I think that uh, there seems to be something about that type of comedian that does a really good series. Whereas if you look at Matt LeBlanc, from or like Matt LeBlanc from Friends, <laughs> he went and did that um, Lost in Space, yeah, which I, I quite enjoyed that film. Yep, but watching him playing what was supposed to be a serious character mm. who was supposed to be taken seriously, yeah, I was always just waiting for Joe Tribbiani to say yeah. something. <laughs> like I just I, I could he in my eyes he could not break away from that. Yeah, and I think that that movie would have just really gone downhill like i don't think it did particularly well in general but it just it would have totally bombed if he had had any humorous lines to say in that at all yeah. if he said anything that was funny then that it just would have lost fair enough any credibility but yeah so jim carrey comes out bit of an independent film and some of the techniques in this i'm sure you'll you'll let us know about them mm. as we go along um it was just interesting to see these characters, these actors, sorry, who I'm used to seeing in much fancier films with all of the much fancier camera work and effects. In you know, some of these scenes were almost you know handicam sort of um, scenes. You know, like yeah, but we will we'll talk a bit more about that as we go through the plot. But there's definitely a style in this film. Mm. Like, there's a style, and so. 
Yeah, there's the indie filmmaker, but it's still a $20 million film, so there's nothing wrong with the camera you use, and there's nothing oh, wrong no, with the sound no. devices. No, but, it was entirely so there, there is a deliberate style. The other thing is Michael Goundry um, is renowned for music video clips and really experimental, oh, that makes weird sense, actually. music clips. Um, and even after this film, uh, I know I went and saw it. It's not sci-fi. Be kind, rewind with oh, most yeah. deaf and Jack, Jack Black. Black yeah. You know, and, and I mean, it was sort of almost like he was born to to make that film because he's a music filmmaker. He's a music. What's the word? He's a music video video filmmaker. filmmaker. <laughs> As in, he does that really, really well. That sort of short film narrative for music videos. Uh, and and if you look, if you go back and look at some of the stuff he's made, some of the classic uh, indie music songs and stuff that he's covered and made clips, the, there's some weird ass stuff he's made. So when this film came out, it was almost like I think a lot of people, uh, it's a weird film. This film, like it is, it's weird. Like what you have straight away joked about. Can you remember this story? Can you remember what actually happened? Like what actually happened in this film? It's sort of the point of the film as well. So. It, it's kind of great. Automatically, the stuff that you're saying, from my point of view, I'm thinking, I think the filmmaker's achieved what he wanted to yeah, say. Like, absolutely. it's not supposed to look like Independence Day. You know what I mean? Like, it's not supposed to look like Terminator 2 or Terminator 3 or it's whatever. It's supposed like, to look like indie. Yeah, it's supposed to look Day. like an indie. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I get it. No, but it's supposed to, like, the whole point is we're going down this deep dive of someone's memories. So, it's supposed to look like memories, right? So, it's not supposed to be clean and sharp well, and brightly has lit and stuff. home video feel to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Like well, our memories do. Some parts of it do. And, yeah. And he does it well because there are parts that are in his memory and parts that are in the real world. And in yeah. the real world, is more conventional. And Correct, in his memory, yeah. we're getting more... Flick anyway, we'll we'll, we'll get into we'll that. Get into that. Yeah. So, is this uh, an experiment, a uh, hope experiment, or a warning? I'm going to chuck it in the hope category because of and look, we have spoiled it, so I'm going to go straight to the end. If you haven't seen it, stop right now and go watch it. Um, uh, the reason why I'm going to say hope is that basically, this is a romantic sci-fi. It's based on a couple. They're deleting their memories because they don't like each other that much, and yet at the end of the film. When they realise they've already had a relationship and both decided to delete the memories, they decide, yeah, but let's just do it again. (laughs) And so this is where hope for me comes in, that as humans, even when we know relationships don't really work, it's kind of the experience of the relationship that's worth it, right? You sort of realise that it's, you know... I mean, you're a dad as well, and I'm a dad, and we're married, and, and, you know, married life is like this. Like, even if you're happily married, there's the boring bits, you know? There's the cleaning the dishes, there's the cleaning the toilet, there's the paying the bills, there's the doing the stuff with the kids. You can, like, you know, (laughs) you can go out there and and even with your kids, like, you know, in Hollywood, like, what do they do? Play catch. Play catch, catch. right? Like, And it's like that, that memory moment. You can do that with your kid, right? But then... You still got to get that kid to go to bed. You still got to get that. Yeah. You got to feed that kid. You got to wake up in the morning. I might like, also point out that poor milk playing and, catch is quite boring. Yeah, it's still boring to play catch. But but the whole point of playing catch is more like a memory, like you know, a nice moment. Oh, yeah, this I is mean, what the, the Kodak moment. You know, that's, that's that why ad, I go fishing. Right? Like I don't yeah. catch any fish. I'd like to catch fish to eat. Mm. But and and let's face it, staying there just walking around not catching fish is kind of boring. It's boring. But it is nice <laughs> that you get to spend the time. Spend the time with your child. Yeah. 
being bored together. Yeah, I guess. I, yeah. I you think, weirdos I think, into fishing. I think I we, we both appreciate it. In some, I know neither of us into fishing. I think it's just... You appreciate uh, that time. but that, It's I, something we can do. So, so the whole point here is like, I think this film is saying that relationships are not Kodak moments. They're not Hollywood films, even mm. though this is a big Hollywood film. But it's like, they're, they're not Hollywood films. Uh, and here at the end of this story, we have t- a couple that are kind of like, we were in a relationship and it was kind of shit. But there was some good bits. And then we now realize that we had a relationship. Should we go around again and have another relationship? And they're basically deciding, yeah, like it's okay to have the shit bits. That That's my interpretation of this film. Yeah, I, okay, I can see that. I'd, so so that's where the hope comes. Yeah, I, it's not a warning. Although there are some <laughs> elements of warning in here, I think with Kirsten yeah. Dunst's character. Yes. That, yeah. that was... That was kind of a bit dark, I think. Yeah. And then a bit, a bit experimental, I suppose, you know, but they didn't really experiment with the idea what what would you do if you could delete your memory. Like, yeah. it, was, it happened once. Mm. It wasn't a case of uh, tinkering left, right, and center, which is normally where the experiment would go would be, okay, well, if I can ex- you know, rewrite memories or delete memories, uh, you know, what would happen if... We could do that in society. Mm. We didn't look at that. What we looked at no, is that, that what wasn't. would you, uh, you know, are we are we destined to have only bad situations stay bad situations? Yeah, yeah. And the answer to this, of course, as you said, is no, because there are good situations too. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, the Kirsten Dunst, um, you know, she... I, th- I think the thing is, and it's the same even with our main characters and, and with Kirsten Dunst. So basically, before we get stuck into that plot to remind you, like Kirsten Dunst, we find out she's kind of had a thing for the doctor, the boss, and that's actually occurred. And then she's requested her memories be deleted. And then in the story, we're seeing her kind of crack on to the boss and kiss him and then find out that she's already sort of done that previously yeah. and wanted to delete that. And maybe when you think about that, sorry, like both with, with her character story, her, her sort of C story or whatever, plus our main characters, that they are actually saying to us that memory is one thing, so you can delete memory, but then maybe fate comes into play or our desires are stronger than memory. You know what I mean? That That sort of... Yeah, because even with Jim Carrey and and um, Kate Winslet's, like it's almost like they've had a shitty relationship, deleted their memories, but they end back up together. Yeah, like you kind of can't stop it. There's that um, memory of Montauk Bay. Yeah, where so they, they they can't help but get back to each other. They they both found themselves drawn back to there. They didn't know why at the time. Yeah, uh, but clearly it was a significance. Yeah. And and from what the science shows us in this film is that then they don't like he doesn't he's lost those memories mm. they're gone they're not coming back but he's still drawn to go back to her so it's sort of some sort of weird feeling of I, I really like I really like the ending and I think we'll cover the ending a little bit more <laughs> yeah, as we yeah. go along but in the meantime uh, what what was the science fiction thing you liked in this film. Well, I liked that, I think just because we were talking about, I liked that we went into the memory path and unlike then another film could be the same story, right? But then it's all about, I think what you were just proposing is like, oh, let's take the most dangerous criminals, Nicolas Cage, and delete (laughs) his memory and then implant it with someone else's memory. And then we go on a journey where Nicolas Cage has to 
has to like decipher that he didn't actually murder the president's wife. That sounds like a good film. I'd right, watch right? that. But this story was about, it made the science, you know, and when we went to the doctors, it made the science so much more simpler in this story. And also when we went there, it's kind of this like shitty little oh, <laughs> like, I love that. upstairs. I love that. And, that. and I also loved like how they did those little cards where they said like, don't talk about this person anymore because they had their memories deleted. And, and you know, when uh, Joel, Jim Carrey's like waiting, like the lady next to him, it's obviously like a pet that she wants to delete oh, the memory of. Why would you want your pet I don't know why you Because uh, oh. pets are pets. They're all fine. They're not like kids or anything or wives. I mean, Jesus, yeah, but- you know. <laughs> <laughs> I can understand deleting a bad relationship. Like, yeah, I know. If a you pe- had a, a an abusive relationship that totally yeah, messed you up. That's true. That's very totally true. Totally understand it. But, yeah. yeah, I mean, what sort of relationship would you have a dog that would mean you'd <laughs> want to delete that memory? I know. I know. It's a bit sad, isn't it? Yeah. So, But I, I liked how the office was so shitty and those little yellow envelopes that they sent out to everyone. And um, so rather than my joke of Nicolas Cage killing the president's wife in a story and ha- having to find out that he didn't do it or whatever... Ving Rames did it. Ving Rames did it. And, um, you know, instead of that, like, we, we had this sort of, like, shitty science sort of stuff. And even, like, Mark Ruffalo and, and Kirsten Dunn's, and, and it, none of them seemed very sophisticated, did they? You know, like, No, they weren't. And they had, like, a, this shitty little laptop. Like, and, <laughs> they and sort of had just, crap equipment, yeah. The, the, the probe thing on, on Jim Carrey's head looked a lot like, Doc Brown's mind reading yes, device that did. doesn't work in yeah. Back to the Future. So it was all kind of a bit cruddy, right? Like a, like, like a yeah. colander with some lights on it. it yeah, good. so I guess my thing with the science was that the science was downplayed a bit and it was a bit sort of shitty science. I, I think you know? so. The good thing with that is it it doesn't make you go, oh, that's so unbelievable. Because yeah. it's, it's so pedestrian, mm. uh, you know, it's almost more believable because mm. how many times have you gone, oh, we're going to do something amazing on... We're going to go on this aeroplane and you get on and it's kind of like... You, it's underwhelming. The it logistics like are, the, yeah. It looks just like the inside of an old battered bus yeah. and <laughs> the seats are a bit worn and you're sort of... Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, this is it. It's going but, in the sky. Yeah, it's going in the sky. Going, Buckle okay. up. Yeah, and you say, okay, well, yeah, fine. But yeah, if, they'd, if right. they'd made it go into, you know, like... A, well, what's one of these films where they do that? They go into one of these um, uh, lab buildings and it's all... Suddenly, as Crystal opposed to clear white the rest, and... rest of the world, is just like a normal yeah. modern city. And they go in, it's all white and smooth. It looks like Events. you're inside of an iPhone, you know, yeah. like <laughs> there's, there's people wearing special uniforms yes. and yeah. uh, holograms. Yeah, it's and, all beautiful yeah, and, and wonderful. I and if it was that. like that, it would be like too oversold. And you'd yeah. be going, well, hold on, what, how does this really work? Yes. Whereas this was just like, yeah, some tired looking psychologist or psychiatrist in an office that's just sort of mm. in a normal strip mall or something like yeah. <laughs> like you'd expect like like a dentist office would be next door yeah. and you know yeah. the, the tax accounts across the way and he's got boxes of filing cards and mm. you know no sophisticated anything yes so, yeah. so i i really liked that that was a sci-fi bit i liked what about a favorite scene sorry favorite scene um i really liked there was okay well an honourable mention is when Jim Crow first walks into the office yeah, and, and goes in to talk to Dr. Harold or whatever his name was. Mm. Is it Howard? Howard, I think it is. Howard, yeah. Howard, yeah, he I goes think. in to talk to, with Howard and there's like some older woman with a head looks like in <laughs> one of the um, hair dryers from the barber shops in the American movies. Mm. 
I don't know. Do, do those things really exist? I guess they must be up for perms. Yeah, must be like a hangover thing from seventies and eighties. Yeah, 80s or I think something. they did back in the. But that's what it looks back. like. She's got looks like she's sitting in a in a barber's chair with a perm dryer on her head, and she's kind of looking all weird. Friends in a way. Friends in a way. I like that because it plays in, as you said, to that low text sort of thing where you're trying to find out. Oh, she's had a memory erased apparently, and he's trying to find out what the deal is. Mm. And yeah, you just. It looks so ordinary, but when they're telling you that they're having memories of relationships removed, mm. it's so fantastical at the same time. So that's yeah. an honourable mention. But the scene I actually liked it was there's um, when he's going through his memories and he goes into the bookstore to give her a gift, mm. and she doesn't recognise him, yeah, because she's had a memory But he doesn't know that, and she's talking to Patrick, mm. and then he sort of gets a bit frustrated and then leaves but he doesn't walk the bookshop just kind of starts fading away from him like yeah like keanu reeves is getting his guns in the matrix yes and he steps back out through the door and sits on his own steps and like yeah. the late light fades and that was the the you know this whole room changed very very dream thing and that was just yeah. done so smoothly mm. and naturally there was no jarring moment of of hey what hey what you know there was yeah. no inception folding of street lines or anything it was just and and I'm, that is the scene actually you've mentioned this uh goundry what's it yeah goundry goundry yeah those music video clips yep that's a music video clip yeah, yeah right there just that i'm swear i've seen that done before yeah but it was just you don't see it in movies no not no. without more fanfare and and flair and this was so smooth and then he sat down and he just started talking it actually took me just that extra second or two to realize that he mm. was in his house, and but no, that's not his house through there. That's yeah, actually the bookstore. Right. That's right, yeah. Yeah, there's just a... And that's just a representative of a number of scenes that happen in this movie yeah, yeah. with that same feeling where it's where it's like the, the scene sort of morphs and moves into another scene. Yeah. And there's just that moment of confusion where you're trying to marry the two and you're trying to figure out where the cutover was and mm. it's not much... But there's definitely that just, you always have to do that Very second seamless, yeah. take of what, hang on. And uh, that, that was good. So yeah, I and that. I guess symbolically that's kind of like dreams and memories, right? Like it's very dreamlike that, and definitely I think Goundry probably wanted to do that effect as in like, oh, you know, we are in someone's mind and memories aren't exactly accurate and you you know transfer so yeah you can be walking out of a bookstore that's the last thing i last time i saw you sorry i was walking out of a bookstore and then and then i was at home and i was telling my wife that i'd saw sorry like we delete the boring bits right like that's what we do as humans we we're renowned for that like talk to a detective we we get rid of the bullshit <laughs> yeah and like a movie does as well and so but you're exactly right in this movie we sort of saw that actually occurring. Yes, right. Because so, normally you would see him walk out of the bookstore, cut, hard cut. Hard cut, He yeah. sits down at the table and talks yeah. to his friend. And but he, as an audience member, you go, oh, he has travelled there. Yeah, yeah. Whereas, yeah, and in reality, though, he's only just magically appeared there. Yeah. But, yeah, we saw the magical appearing. We saw the... Ma yeah, we saw him walk out of one room into the next room and, and we could see that. Oh, hang on. And then that room is, like, dark. Yeah, it happens like, often. Hang on, so 
is the book still actually in there? Oh, well, yeah. it kind of is in his memory, I guess. So that's one thing. Um, so what about anything you're up to creatively? Sorry, anything oh, okay. sci-fi related or creatively? Yeah, I've, I've been doing... I did my little um, short film. I sort of filmed... Short film. Sort of an advert, I suppose, for Space Brains. Mm. I had a little idea when I was thinking, you know... There's all these people making short films for this film festival. Yeah. It'd be really good if we had like a couple little pretendy ones for ourselves. And uh, I thought, well, yeah, but I don't want to have to... As you've... Speaking to you, there's, there's a lot of organizing of people and places and shots. There so is. I went, what can I do just <laughs> in my one room with myself and my camera? Yeah. And so I thought, well, what about that whole multiplicity deal? Yeah, yeah. So there's three Surreys, all say they've cloned the other in order to go off and do work but they each just want to edit science, uh, space brains and watch <laughs> science fiction movies fair enough so well, who doesn't so i've 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 put together a a rough edit of that uh and i've got to do a bit of um sound work on it mm. because something i've noticed and i never noticed this with films i've been really paying attention i i, I cut so i cut from a, a like a close-up on me Yep. To then a um, shot of feet walking, and then like a, a a wider shot, and then back into a sort of a shoulder height shot and things, and those cuts are really jarring. Yeah. And I'm like going, how the hell? Why are they so jarring? And how the hell do filmmakers make them look more natural? And so I'm watching. I was watching Spotless Mind and and uh, Stranger Things. I was watching Stranger Things, paying attention, and I realised that one of the main ways of making them seem together is sound. Sound. Because of course Good it sound. is. It is literally you know camera shot at me and then camera shot everywhere else, and there's all just different ambient sound and there's yeah. there's different volumes and mm-hmm. uh, my dialogue. I'm not intending to keep the dialogue that I recorded on camera because. I'm just using a phone camera. Like that's it's yeah. mic is rubbish. So what I want to do is I want to capture the dialogue so I could hear it and when it was done, and then I'll do some dialogue replacement. Some ADR. So some ADR. So at first I was thinking I'm going to have to chuck all this out. This is all rubbish. <laughs> and to be fair, it's not especially skillfully shot. Uh, and acted. You're telling me you didn't create a sound design yeah, on location well, sound design? Well, no, not on location. No, it's <laughs> like that's what's what's that film school that. Does all you've got to have your all, all sound is diegetic and it's all got to be. I can't remember. Well, that, that is sound. I, I'm not pure. sure specifically your reference. No, no. There's but... a, there's a some some Scandinavian oh, school okay. of filmmaking that says that the films should be rooted in the reality oh, and okay. you should use as few oh, uh, non-real locations yeah. as okay. possible yeah, and like yeah. there's kind of like this checklist of stuff yeah. in order to fit into this particular school of film and the sound is one of those things is the sound should be as much in the filming Mm -hmm. rather than being added on as foley afterwards okay yeah yeah Um, well you do get your french cinema of like the 60s and the 70s that kind of that cinema wave that yeah they were more what happened in the 90s in america with sort of indie indie cinema you know stuff like this sort of film would be kind of considered that similar style in a way yeah funny enough michael gaundry is french as well so <laughs> maybe that's a little bit wild but yeah no okay i get what you get so yeah i can't i just i can't remember off the top of my head the name of this 
particular uh, approach. So, to what's your lesson? You're, you're realizing that sound is hard in film. Is that well? What the, well, what I was listening, <laughs> what I learned is that all the the cuts and everything. I was thinking, okay, I'm going to have to chuck them, like the whole bunch of it. And I thought, no, actually, it's probably worth my while pushing ahead and doing the sound and getting some yeah. music. I was thinking of recording some of my own music and mm-hmm. um, doing the dialogue and seeing and, and then adjusting uh, color gradients and so forth to, to match yeah. uh, and see if that changes things. Cause I you don't have Lady Gaga on retainer somewhere to make you a soundtrack? Well, I don't need her on retainer. She's just a good mate of mine. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, there you go. Or at least the woman down the road, she calls herself Lady Gaga. Mm. And, she, and she was wearing a lot of food at one stage, so... I, yeah, I'd get her doing the know. soundtrack, definitely. Yeah, for sure, <laughs> For sure. Sounds like a bargain. So anyway, I'm, I'll see see where I go and I'll push it along, see what lessons I can learn out. I'm super, I excited. I'm super excited to do a uh, podcast with clone number two, sorry, you know, and clone number three. We, we're, we're doing... I didn't you know that we're doing a podcast on Tuesday night? That's that's what I got told. Oh, the bugger, I told him he's meant to be working Tuesday oh, night and earning right, some okay. money. Well, he, he messaged me, so it's fine. I'm fine. I'm happy. I don't see the difference. So, you know, they're all clones. Other than that, I've been working on coming up with some like media releases and um, sort of fact sheets. So to hand media out releases, fact sheets? What's that for? That's for the Space Brain Sci-Fi Film Festival. Going to be released here, and uh, so the event is being. Uh, it almost sounded like I had it rehearsed there for a moment. It did, it did. We're not that well. May, May 21, 2022, at the yeah. Mandra Performing Arts Center. Fish Trap Theatre. Fish Trap. We will be having the um, a program of, you know, day long program and awards and screenings. Good. and And it's going to be freaking fantastic. It We're receiving awesome. entries from all over the world. We are. We've got some strong candidates from here locally in WA. WA being Western Australia, not Washington State, just in case you're <laughs> curious. And uh, we've Mind also, you, if that makes you enter, go for it. We've got a feature film in. Yeah, we Well, do. hopefully we're going to receive some more of those. Mm. Uh, we've got plenty of short films. This is turning out to be quite good. Yes, it's exciting. I, I couldn't believe that we got the feature. I don't know if we talked about that in the last episode, but yeah, it's cool that we've got our first feature film. And yeah, there's heaps of Australian and international short films coming through. So... Yeah, and we're going to probably, um, I'd like to run a bit of a workshop uh, locally, you know, mm. for sort of, especially for like teenagers or something so that we can get them and we can talk about a lot of the stuff that we talk about on the podcast about, you know, what is well, a, you know what? What, what makes a sci-fi and then the... encourage them to make a sci-fi. Mandra Youth uh, Club mm. up there, they have youth, uh, what do you call it, grants of up to $350 for the youngsters of Mandra to pursue their dreams, their goals, their Beautiful. hobbies. Which, so, you know, if you are in... You could probably look for a similar youth arrangement in your own local city or area. Mm-hmm. But you, yeah. you can basically go in there and you tell them what it is you want some money for and how much it is what you're going to use it on. Like maybe you'll need to get some costumes or pay someone to yeah. do some sound design. Yeah, yeah. Then yeah, off you trot. You can awesome. you can get in. So maybe we can maybe we can help inspire some youngsters to go That's grab right. a bit of that money and then go get a camera or I don't know, pay a makeup artist to make them look like Mark Ruffalo so they can jump up and down shirtless on a bed. <laughs> That's a weird thing to do. That is. And Take if you're a lot under eight, and if you're under eighteen, please don't do it. No, no, probably not a good. It's dangerous, Mark Ruffalo. <laughs> Uh, he's a trained 
professional actor of many years, he knows how to jump up and down on a bed. He's very well trained at that, I think. But that's how he goes role as the Hulk. <laughs> <laughs> Ruffalo smash! Ruffalo smash! Yes, okay. So, Mark Ruffalo, if you want to come on the podcast and tell us about that, how much smashing you've had to do in your time. Tell us. Then Please tell, tell us. us. We want to know. Sorry said all that, Mark. Just hit us up on Instagram. And how, how are you going? Because I know you've, you've been doing a lot of filmmaking at the moment. Yeah, well, Harold the Plumber, we did all that. Uh, still need so we're in the editing what you've just been talking about the editing editing uh, so that's exciting um, some boring bits in editing like cataloging when you when you are talking about you know you've shot I don't know 50 minutes well yeah 50 minutes of footage raw footage and it's going to end up being 5 minutes so you know it's a long process when you add that 50 minute stage uh, but it's also exciting I feel like there's a bit of magic in that film and there is literally magic toilet water uh, so yeah, that's coming along really cool, uh, slowly, but surely also been involved in filming, uh, for a documentary. So not sci-fi, but yeah, it's good to be behind the camera to do that. That's for my wife doing an, uh, they're doing a nature, um, do- uh, nature documentary here locally in Mandra, uh, him, uh, sorry, him, her and Tony from Les- left coast media. Uh, so they're doing a mutual nature documentary or like a little doco series. I don't know, a bit like you, I just get told, you're going to be filming this day and you're going to be doing this and this and that. So, But it's been very busy doing that and that does also involve us fixing our front garden. So I've also been working hard on the front garden. It's almost there actually. It doesn't look like the crack den it front used to. house of, as you say, crack den heroin addicts. <laughs> <laughs> it was just a nature. The, I will say the birds liked it as a crack den. Okay, they liked yeah. it. They liked the corn growing. Yeah, there's some uh, bits the of random wa- corn. <laughs> wild corn. There's a couple of strawberry yeah. plants. Uh, not strawberry. Uh, tomato plants. I saw. As well, well, I've ripped all that out. Sorry, and now it's just natives. Uh, so pretty excited. We planted a nice solid eucalyptus as well, sort of about a meter tall, so a little baby one. But yeah, compared to what it's going to turn into, in twenty five, thirty years, it'll be big. Yeah, yeah, it'll be about. Six meters, I think, something like that is its no. maximum height. So yeah, it's not like a huge one, but it'll, it'll be a nice, decent height if it takes off. Um, and yeah, today I was also filming myself for a writing incubator uh, thing that's happening. So I've put myself out there and I had to do a little 30 second video that became an all day project, of course. Uh, but that, but it's cool to be involved in that. And yeah, and also then just ticking some boxes for. Space Brains Film Festival, as we just talked about, getting those uh, processes happening and, and moving on to the next stage. So it's felt like this last two weeks, the creative projects have really been pouring. Yeah. Not enough time, as always. Or oh, that's what it feels like for me. No. no. <laughs> Never one, enough to sort of just do enough. Only one lifetime is not it. enough. No, nah, no. And then everyone's like, you should be TikToking about and you should be doing this and that and you should be Instagram. And you're like, oh my goodness, I'm just keeping my head above water at the moment on this stuff but it but it's also very sort of exciting okay well let's get stuck into this film let's do it so, so hang on hang on okay let's get stuck <laughs> into the film the film okay in the film i'm going to give you a brief overview so <laughs> brief overview <laughs> that will take about three hours 
uh, it'd be much faster just to go and watch the film and then come back and listen to the last bit. Uh, no, please don't leave. Please don't leave me. Uh, so this was directed, as we talked about, Michael Goundry. Now, Michael Goundry, I've just said that. Music video, experimental filmmaker. Uh, we're going to have stuff to do with, like we've been talking about, shadows, weird setting changes. You might end up having a baby with a really big head, like in one of his other music clips, and also a creepy... Oh, there's a music clip that he did. I can't remember the musician off the top of my head. So if you're out there, correct me, let me know. Um, and it's like a fully grown man, but with a baby head on it. And it sings the song and it's so creepy. As, as before this, about 1999, 2000, it was right at the sort of pinnacle when I'm sort of, you know, that late teenage age watching Rage late at night and just tripping out on that kind of stuff. <clears throat> uh, and he also, he's, there's another one he does where he's, he's big on putting things on other people's bodies. It's like a man's face on a really hot female body. I don't know if you remember that music clip, but yeah. So, oh, a music clip. Well, I yeah, I'm talking don't, about music clips. You don't not remember movies that dream? No, no, no. No, I don't no, remember that clips. dream. That's like uh, but his style is definitely very experimental. Um, also, digital graphics mixing in with that sort of... Like Surrey was talking about, we've got a bit of digital stuff happening, but it's set scenes changing and there's a great use of positioning the actors, shadows and the camera just sort of slowly tracking away. And all of a sudden, yeah, you shift from a bookcase, a bookstore, not a bookcase, bookstore into someone's apartment or when he does that street scene as well in the memory where he's like following Clementine and he kind of keeps trying to get to it, and she keeps changing, and his car keeps changing. Remember that scene? Yeah, it's and like it's like, and every and the other thing you notice in that scene, every time he changes, the stores lose details, and the street loses a bit of detail, but it keeps flipping. But he never seems to change. I, I'm I don't even like I watch that, and I've seen this film a couple of well, times. Well, he remembers himself just fine. Yeah, that's a really good point. Isn't it? <laughs> but it's a but he, well, that's not what's being deleted, right? Yeah, is him. He's not being deleted, but the book, the, the sorry, the store goes blank. That did you notice? That was the whole thing throughout the whole thing. The memories were sort of like shaded away, weren't yeah, they? Yeah, well, like people's faces it's out, shaded it's out away. Of being the just the the street name and the store was like you know someone or others blah blah on this mm. street name. Yeah, and he turns back and now like the the specific name, name of the store is gone, but the street name's still there. Yeah, finally, the eventually, still there. The street sign had the name, but then the stores just had white signs. Yeah. Until finally the streets, and they're happening again. Also, one of his memories in the bookstore, the yeah. all the covers of the books disappeared, fa- disappeared and went white, yeah. and it was just you they're know, all like blank brown. And then covers. and then they sort of started flipping out, like yeah. disappearing off into the void. Yes. Yeah, so you explain a lot now when he mixes with Charlie Kaufman. Charlie Kaufman's a bit of a. It's, it's good that these, and I know that if you go in. The Charlie and Michael and there's another guy. They kind of like co-wrote the short story of this version, and then and then Charlie wrote the whole script. Charlie adaptation, another really quirky. Oh, that's a gen- weird. Gen- as well. Yeah, that, and and um, Nicholas Cage. I mentioned Nicholas Cage. He's in the, he's in adapt- adaptation. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah, no, Nicholas Cage's adaptation is that. Yeah. The, the there was it was. Yeah, don't different one I think it was. Yeah, Jim Carrey. But Kaufman's got weird sort of again style, quirky comedy. It's weird comedy style, isn't it? Sort of thing going on, um, but very intelligent, very experimental, and also very world bending. And you found that in this film as well, isn't it? It's like again what we said before that we've got this 
major science technology, medical procedure, delete your memories, and yet it's kind of being done in a backyard. It's, and it's, it's also it's not norm. even Total Recall style. No, <laughs> no, no. It's and it's very sort of also like it's just what we do now. We delete people's memories, no worries. Um, and he wrote, he won a Academy Award for this film for best screenplay. Well, so nice. whatever you think about this film, the Academy liked it, whatever that means. Um, and it stars. We've talked about Jim Carrey. He plays Joel, Kate Winslet, Clementine. Oh, my darling. Oh, my darling. Oh, my darling. Clementine. Uh, and we do have Elijah Wood, who I couldn't say his name last time as Patrick the Creep. He's a real creep in this. And he's good as a creep, don't you reckon? It's the same in Sin City. I don't want to ruin that, but he's creepy in that movie. I don't, yes. know, if that is, I don't know if that's sci-fi. I do need to watch that movie again. Mark Ruffalo uh, plays Stan. And um, we also have the kind of minor characters, David Crossan, and um, they play, you know, the wife and the, the friends, like the yeah. friends of, of Joel. Uh, so it's like it's a pretty big cast. Hey, they've really been pulled pulled into this. Now, filmed in New York, budget twenty mil, and made over seventy four mil at the box office. So that's not a bad return on investment. Sorry, I'm wondering Show me the greenbacks. Wondering how much a seventy four million was just because it had Jim Carrey, Kate Winslet, Elijah Wood, you know, Mark Ruffalo, like. Kirsten Dunst. I know. It would like, have pulled a few people in. Because like, they're all uh, you know, respectable actors who have been in A-list movies at various times. Yeah, yeah. I, I would be. I didn't look it up, but it'd be interesting, like, was Kirsten... Kirsten Dunst was kind of a bit of a child actor as well before yes. Spider-Man. So she had done some stuff, Small Soldiers and a couple other films, I know, in the Interview 90s. the Vampire. Yeah, so she was a bit more of a child star even though here she's maybe in her early 20s um i'm watching a netflix show uh about her at the moment uh where she's a lot older queen of the south or how i became queen it was a great comedy drama sort of show not sci-fi at all but it's really cool so it's sort of one of those dramatic retellings in the 90s of like a um of amway you know like of a pyramid scheme you know sort of thing that's the idea um, so it's kind of a cool, it's quite funny. It's quite funny, um, but very serious at other times. But yeah, she was a bit more of a child actor. But um, Elijah Wood, I mean, he he was a child actor as well. And obviously had done Lord of the Rings around this era. So all these guys are kind of done stuff. I think it's just Jim Carrey that probably took the real major pay cut to be Yeah, in I think like so. He obviously deliberately chose to be in this. I'm not too sure about it. And Kate Winslet was obviously... She got a bit of a nod for... A, she got nominated for a, a Academy Award for Best Acting as well for this. She uh, she does so really well in she's this. She's great in this. Great. Yeah, yeah. she's really outside. And again, I think it's one of those things like we talked about Jim going, oh, I don't want to be in comedies. I want to do something a bit different. It's the same for her. Like she's come off, you know, massive Titanic. And I think she was also in another couple like, you know, Elizabethan sort yeah, of... I, I I, I do remember seeing remember. her name in things yeah. and me thinking, I'm even less interested in that than yeah. I'm Titanic. I know, but but she's obviously a strong actor, but it's like, you can you can say, oh, you, oh Kate, we've got another role with you. And you're like, yeah, what is it? Oh, you play the damsel in distress. You play, oh, I don't want to play. Oh, I want to play a heroin junkie. I want to, you know, I want to be rough. So I want to oh, be interesting. I've got this script that, you know, where she's really crazy and she's... A drunk and you know oh that sounds more interesting you know like you know but you're only going to get paid you know nothing cheesels and uh, in in their dollars and uh, the currency conversion of cheesels to US dollars is really quite low sorry just so you know 
and uh, Damn it. and and she I just goes for it, up. you know. Just signed up for a, a, big a movie deal. The next Marvel <laughs> film, they're going to pay me two packets of cheezels. Oh, you got Fun screwed. <laughs> Uh, again, I don't know if they they might have shared some of the profits, but sometimes the actors get involved in that, don't they? You know, it's like take a huge pay cut, but you get two percent of the gross. Always take gross. Always take gross. We we've learnt this from Surrey. Always take gross. I learned it from Will Smith. <laughs> okay, the other thing with Internal Sunshine before we get um we get stuck into it is and it, this was a bit trending when this film came out in two thousand three two thousand four is that we get a narrative order that is pretty crazy so we this film and again we've warned everyone i think this film we start in the future although we don't know it's the future or do we start in the present and then we flash back and then we flash back but then when we get to kind of the climax we're then back we we catch up with we yeah, yeah we basically catch up to the present but there is and and then also the film is kind of the memories his memories are almost like reverse chronological order so we start at the end of the relationship and we work our way backwards yes so that's why there's such a such a jump and we'll talk about this in a moment but there's such a jump from the start of the film and i, I was watching it because it's about my fourth time watching this film over the last you know 20 years since it's come out roughly that um and i watched it about 5 years ago but it's like I was watching it on the. I have I have a DVD of this film, so I sort of like was watching the counter and um, looking at you know the twelve minute mark. No, it kept going, and it was. But really, it was something like about the fourteen minute mark is then the end of the present. Mm. You know, the the future, whatever you want to call it, and then we get the opening credit. The opening credits actually oh, come yeah. in at about fourteen minutes. We, right? I, my, and my wife and I noticed that and went. We haven't seen the credits After yet. After the okay. credits, they're broken up, right? And then, yeah. and that's when he's finding out about the. So that's the inciting incident, so to speak. But then, when you look at the arc of the whole film, yeah, really, the inciting. That's not the inciting incident in a way because the the time frame is more. You know, you need to flip that whole story on its bum, really, don't you? And it's like he's met her at the party, which happens at the end of the film. He's met her at the party, and he's. They've connected and they've gone to the house and blah, blah, blah. But then also, sorry, just to boggle your mind, is when they do go to the house at the end of the film, that crumbles, that, of course, is not what happened. The crumbling of the house? No. No. No, that's his memory memory crum- crumbling. And yes. also because she, she starts conversing with him at about the midpoint of the film in the dreams, yeah, which, of course, breaks, did not happen, right? She essentially breaks the... Would that be the fifth wall? Something. Where <laughs> yeah. where one of the characters is speaking to another character in a meta sense well, about the story that's happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Without... So they haven't broken... They've broken the fourth wall with another character. Because yeah. he's watching his memories play out and suddenly one of his memories is talking directly talking to, him to him. Yeah, yeah. As an observer of the memories, which yeah. is... And then starts like acting in the memories. Reacting, you know, like, yeah. yeah, like acting to the memory. Oh, let's do this now because that would hide me, you know. So, yeah, and then in fact, she does. So, we'll come back to that. So, just wanted to make that that there's a reverse chronological order. Um, I probably haven't thought about it as much, but yeah, Christopher Nolan's Memento with the, the guy with the five minute memory. Um, yeah, this film is actually kind of a bit similar. Uh, it's a, that's a very different, it's a bit darker, a bit bleaker, but. 
when I looked at it this time, I could kind of see, well, they are a bit similar. And they both came out about the same time. I think Memento's 2002, this is 2003, 2004. Um, but there is actually a bit of a similarity, whereas I didn't notice that. I think I think the point, that film's a bit different, I think, but this the point of Eternal Sunshine of a Spotless Mind and why it's told like this is we are so, supposed to sort of walk away with a bit of vagueness, a bit of memory loss, what you've been joking about. Like, what the hell was this film about? Yeah, yeah, I you know, think like, I think you're not meant to quite know what their relationship really was like. Because yeah. he's going through these memories and we see we see some of his bad memories. Yeah. But we see a lot of you know his interesting memories. Yeah, we do. And as or well. good or, or important memories. Mm. And we but because as you said, partway through, um Clementine is talking to him and reacting and, and trying to say, let's go somewhere to a different memory that I don't exist in, mm. you you start to lose uh, the, the, the reality of the memory. Like, you do. It becomes unreliable as to you know how much of their conversation when they're in that house at the end of his memory loss, which is the beginning of their relationship, how much of that is real? How much is, is him coming to terms with well, the way their relationship went later on in the relationship? Yeah. You know, like, And it was also him identifying... Like the house is him identifying that when that happened, he didn't really stay. He didn't really invest the time. He didn't really like run with the adventure of meeting this good, this new girl who's interested in. He he retreated into his same old self, and so he like ran away from the mem- he ran away from the experience, mm. which was which. That's why that makes that the climax because he's kind of saying, "Oh, I ran away from this. Like that could have been a cool adventure that night." Hey, this meeting this beautiful girl on the beach, and we're kind of clicking, and she's inviting you to Bra- stay, breaking, breaking into, into a house, house and steal their their stuff, break yeah. things. And but you know, they're having a, a romantic moment. I, I would be, I'd be with uh, old uh, Joel, Joel here and right say, away. yeah. And she says, oh, why, why, why don't you say? I said, well, because I'm not a criminal, <laughs> and I know that if I owned this house and I came home and someone had eaten my food and broken things and smacked, like I'd be really freaking pissed off. Yeah. I don't think really Joel, annoyed. I don't think that was Joel's rationale, but no. what you're and, just saying. And if you're the sort of person who who does just spontaneously break into people's houses and, and do this, you're inevitably going to like Cause rob a petrol station or you're going to start taking heroin or you know, you're yeah. going to stab me while I sleep for crying out loud. <laughs> who knows what you're you gonna do. You don't want to live on the wild side like that, sorry? No, this whole opposites attract <laughs> thing is not correct. <laughs> I, yeah, but I suppose that's the thing. Was that Joel's opposite or was it Joel's kind of... Yeah, I don't know if that was Joel because no. Joel was pretty weird too, wasn't he? Joel was very strange and yeah. I did like that. So let's let's go yeah, on and go through this. It. So we start... Let me think about how we start this. We start... He, he <laughs> Joel wakes, wakes up. up. He, he wakes, wakes up, up in the morning. He's on a fold-out bed. Yeah. I, I, I didn't really question that. I was like, no, that's a bit no. weird. But he, he looks a bit worse for wear. So you're he thinking, does. okay, he's on a fold-out bed. That's kind of... If nothing else, it's representing the fact that he's not in a permanent, good, stable spot. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And he gets up and he, there's a voice over in his head saying it's Valentine's Day and it was just a, invented by greeting card companies yep, to make that old argument. feel terrible. And he's at the train station and he just takes a... Um, he hears the, the Montauk train is about to leave and so he looks around and he suddenly runs and sprints across and gets on the other station and squeezes in and... And he says he doesn't even know why he's done it. He's no. just and he calls in sick to work. He does, and he gets gets to Montauk, which at that time of year looked 
bleak. Yeah. Like, it did not look like a nice place to be. No, it's snowing and the beach is cold. And it, it's cold and he's, he's in his workwear and he's just kind of stumbling it, it, along. Yeah, it seems very inappropriate. And he kind of opens up his journal and he's like, I don't remember ripping pages out, but I guess it's been a couple of years since I've used my journal. Yeah, it's been two um, years since Naomi... Since Naomi. Uh, came here last with her. Yeah. Which is interesting because he did, but he didn't leave with her. No. Whoa. No, but he didn't go to that party with Naomi either. Uh, no, because she stayed behind. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so he didn't even go there. So, uh, yeah, anyway. <laughs> Just screwed up my memories then. But it's letting us know that he's maybe been alone for a couple of years and sad and depressed and he's not a very exciting protagonist. <laughs> no, he's not. He's down and out. And anyway, he's then... Uh, he, didn't, he does notice uh, a woman on the beach and he say, sort of says, oh, if I could talk to a, a woman or look at a woman in the face or something like... Yeah, here I am, I can't, even, I can't even look at a woman in the face. Yeah. And, and then later on, as he's leaving there, he's, he's saying, oh, why is it that I just seem to want to fall in love with the first woman I always see? Yeah, you yeah, know, anyone who yeah. shows me any... Treats me like I'm any sort of a human. Yes, that's there's a good line there. That yeah, anyone that sort of shows me the littlest, littlest part of attention, and I'm going to fall in love with them. Um, good bit of foreshadowing. Well, yes, it's good. <laughs> uh, they have a nice little moment at the ca- the coffee shop as well. She's pouring a bit of gin in her coffee. Uh, he's doing his drawings, which again um, would have warned me away from her. I'd be like. <laughs> Secret alcoholic? Mm, no, thanks. It's not fun and, and exciting for you, sorry. Well, if she had ordered a pint of beer at her table, <laughs> that would yeah. be different. They'd be like, okay. But yeah, she's she, she knew what she was doing was wrong. Yeah. Maybe she's just a cheapskate. You know? but like, she, it's no, expensive. Well, she, she knew what she was doing was wrong, and that's, that's important yeah. to me. Uh, and then on the train ride home, she starts talking to him. They have like a bit of an awkward sort of, conversation and i was um, shocked watching it at this point here i was personally going geez she's really forward yeah and he seems to be okay retreat. with that like yeah. like it's frightening behavior it all makes sense of course later on the fact that they've already been together for a year two years yeah or something along those lines that they've, they've had a couple of years together already but so this familiar familiarity is actually quite okay yeah but of course at this point in the film i didn't know that like i'm just going this is a little bit spooky. Like it's, it's a bit stalkery, a bit kind it, of it, intense. Too early. You it's, know. it's a funny thing. This opening scene, like with her, kind of really approaching him and being the really forward. And she, you notice, like she's sort of sitting on the train. There's no one else really on the train, and she's sitting away from him. She starts talking, and then, like after talking for maybe a minute, she's then sitting on the like next to him. Sorry, like in the in the row in front, and mm. then and then she talks a bit more, and they kind of and the whole time he's not saying much, and his body language is also very much like stay back, mm. <clears throat> and then she like she keeps moving closer and closer and closer to him, and what's very weird about that is that you watch all these other films, and it's always men doing that to women, yes, and and it seems like that's normal. And yet, when a woman does it to a man, it's seeming kind of a bit creepy. 
there's definitely like a bit of a, a playoff there going on, I feel. Oh, that, yeah. Like, she's coming across, like, you've just said it. You've said what, the, you're like, oh, is it like, oh, this woman's coming on to me, you know? And it's so unexpected, right? Like, she, and she is dangerous and she's drinking underneath and she's doing this. And it's, and, and also, I think because he's coming across so much like the innocent, you know, like, he's like a little innocent little lamb. Like, he's kind yeah. of curled up in the corner, leave me alone, he's his vibe, you know? I'm trying to do my art. My journaling. I'm journaling here, people. I'm journaling. Stay away, attractive oh, young so woman. so creative. <laughs> like, they talk about hair colours, and he's like, oh, that's not a job. And she's like, it's a job. So, I kind of found it, it's, you, it's kind of a little bit like a car crash. Like, you, I've, I've found it a bit alluring, this seen this sequency and then he even tells her like oh, I've got to get back to my journaling yeah you know? and then, she, myself, like he really yeah. rejects her you know like and she walks away um but then he but then he does the weird thing of like picking her up in his car yeah he sees her walking along and, and he stops and says I, I could give you a ride mm. and let's face it he did enjoy the attention he did enjoy the attention and as he said earlier he fell in love with someone that gives him a little bit of attention Yes. Um, so we sort of have this, like, they go back to her place, she offers him a drink, they ha- they do actually laugh and they connect and then and then he goes, I'm going to go and she wants him to stay and he goes and then... She gives uh, him this, her number. Her number, says, like, writes it on his hand, again, crazy, crazy style. And then he goes home and then he rings her straight away and she's like, oh, what took you so long? So it's like they've connected, they've yeah. fallen in love, that's the appearance. And this is where we do get the opening credits, basically. Yes. So they've... We've almost had this, as I said, it was about 14 minutes, so not quite 12 minutes, but about 14 minutes of these two falling in love, you know, and, and, and it's, and it's, and it is what it is. Like, it seems like it's a love story and we have this opening and we come back to Joel being all negative and gloomy again. And you think, well, that's perfectly normal. But this time he's saying to his friends that what, what's happened to Clementine, you know, where, where's she gone? Yeah, I haven't seen her. I like, haven't seen her. What's going on? And they're kind of they're going, well, it's Clementine. It's who she is, and they're kind of excusing that behaviour. And it gets to a point that then um, his friend David, played by David Cross, is like, look, I'm not supposed to give you this, but here's this little card, and it says, "Dear Mister and Mrs. Cross." Yeah. <laughs> That's not their names, but. Uh, Clementine has had her memory erased. Please don't raise this or question her about her memories or something yeah, and, like that. Yeah, and Rob's wife is quite grumpy at him for this. Yeah. which And, and this is an interesting contrast here. Cause these two, this married couple, yeah. they seem to be constantly... Fighting and not yeah, really into Struggling it. with yeah. each other. Like, but for some reason they stay together, they which stay is together, weird. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, she dumps the laundry on him and he's like, ugh. And yeah, even when he says, let's smoke a joint, she's like, not tonight or yeah, not too just early. Just give it a break. Give it a break. Yeah. 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 yeah so it's, it's, a, it's a strange little side relationship you see where there's, yeah. it's not like there's this uh, couple who have it all figured out. Yeah. And I guess when you think about it, no one does in this, in this film, right? Like, because Kirsten Dunst is trying to crack on to the boss. Who's married. Who's actually married. And then they've deleted her memory and she's cracking on it. And then at the same time, she's also having sex or partying with Stan. Uh, and then also Patrick is like stealing her <laughs> underwear and like he's like trying to manipulate someone else into a relationship. Yeah. So maybe this is the thing. Everyone's relationships is kind of screwed up, right? 
Makes me feel fantastic. It does. It suddenly makes you realise that you've got a good wife. What the hell are you doing a podcast at 10 a.m., 10 p.m. on a Thursday night for? Oh, my God. Is that the time? <laughs> Probably. Um, so, anyway, he realises that she's... He goes and learns that there's this clinic in the city and that she has... Clementine has deleted all the memories that they had together. All of them. Yeah, all of them. And, and this he, is a he has cl- trouble believing that, of course. He does. He does. And what you mentioned before, he, like, kind of... This, it's a pretty, it's, it's really hard to put exact words on it, but it, it's not a sophisticated clinic. It's called Lacuna. Um, the doctor and the office, like, and even what you said, like he walks by and that old, older woman is having her memories erased and stands just kind of standing there. And like, but he can see it. Like there's no medic, you know, like when do you go to the doctor and the doors are just wide open to other patients? Yeah, no. It's not really the thing, right? But here it's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah, and, and the people in the waiting room holding their belongings. Boxes, it's like all obvious. Like, I've come here to delete my memories of Surrey, you know? Like, here's all my space brain stuff. You yes. know? It's like, and it's like really obvious of like what you're getting rid of. There's no privacy. Um, so, yeah, it's a really sort of broken down. He's heartbroken and he decides to do the same procedure. So this is where we as an audience get to kind of learn, okay, well, what is the procedure? How? And they say you come in, you do some tapes, um, and you also... Uh, you know, you're going to prepare, bring all your mementos, and they do that weird scanning thing, don't they? That pre-scan. Yeah, you got to look at every all of these bits, and they scan the brain, and they're sort of creating a map of where in the mind mm. this person's memories are. And they're going to target. This is really clever because whilst they're doing that, Joel walks in on the memory. Yes. So it's him then realizing that. They've already started the memory deletion. A bit total recall. Like, there's a bit of a crossover there, isn't there? That, yeah. Cause, oh, hang well, on. I mean, before all of this, we did see Joel go into his apartment and he was, yeah, he took a pill. Yep. And then he's like, gets drugged and he, he finally turns the lights off. And then uh, Stan and, and Patrick go, okay, it's showtime. And they go on in. Mm. So we sort of know something is happening, That's, but we yeah. don't, again, we're getting messed with our timelines here because. Yeah. That sort of happens, but then we don't see the results of that. No. We see him going in and talking to the doctor about getting his, his memory erased. Yeah, yeah. So we, that's what, yeah, sorry. So we did jump so ahead. It's, and it's, it's kind of, and I think we're going to have trouble keeping this movie straight because <laughs> it's a bit like this. Yeah, because the memories cross over in the reality of the but story. It was, so, yeah. it was nice then that, of course, that memory scene started to really blur. Yeah. And uh, different backdrops were appearing. Yeah. So they're putting up. Uh, little figures, like little potato head figures yeah. on his thing he's meant to look at. And then like the background is no longer the doctor's office that he's mm. in. It's in something else. And then Joel is himself observing this walking around. I don't know. It gets very yeah, confusing. It is. But it was cool. It was a cool effect. And you're exactly right. Lads are putting those objects up. Those memory, those memories are kind of like quick flashes, aren't they? Mm. You know, the Clementine with the, skeleton and he's kind of doodling or drawing and then it's gone and then it's like there's a Chinese restaurant and then that's kind of and so it's like foreshadowing the memories will be longer later but they're just kind of quick flashes Mm. so it's kind of cool yeah that was really cool and and then we see in the uh, Joel's apartment Mm. where Stan and Patrick are doing the thing they're setting Joel up it's clearly this is uh, what's happening and why we were seeing strange things. And the camera work here is different. The The quality of the 
the movements of the camera are more yeah. traditional and it's it's these two talking we yeah patrick patrick talks about the fact that he's sort of um got his new girlfriend and he's got his mm. new girlfriend and, and finally he sort of says well it's actually clementine the girl we did because i, I saw her and you know stan saying but you only watched her sleeping you know like <laughs> is he i know but she's so beautiful and perfect and interesting and and I saw some of her underwear. So, yeah, like, yeah. What? No, oh, nothing. Creepy. Nothing weird. It wasn't. It was clean. Clean underwear. Like that, that and, makes it okay, and, Patrick. And that makes it okay, Stan. Elijah Wood. Elijah Wood. And of course, Stan is just kind of taken a bit of back by this. He's going, you can't. You can't do that. That is no. really wrong. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, I guess it's okay to delete this guy's memories. Basically. I guess he's at the point there where he ends up sort of going, "Well, you've you've done it. You can't be doing that, though." Yeah, yeah. And then finally, Patrick. He, he's calling up Clementine. Um, Clementine, yeah. Oh, God knows why I don't remember that name. But and we don't. We don't know it's Clementine completely, do we? No. At that well, point in time, yeah, it's I, sort of a bit of a secret. Because I think that that's when, before it goes any further, he. That's when you have that memory of um, uh, Joel going mm. to the bookshop and her not having the memory. You know, yes. That's when that happens. So we and when we see that, we don't see Patrick. We see her like she kisses a guy. She like you know like, she ignores him. She, she kiss, says you the don't name Patrick. Him. Yeah, but you don't see no, him. You don't so see you him. don't exactly know who it is. It's a real. Oh yeah, no, sort of did. Like it's, yeah, well, you kind of get in the. You can recognize but, Elijah. You know, like he's, <laughs> he's got a particular look. He does. He does. But you don't actually see him face on. No. Um, and even later, you, the whole memory replays, and Patrick's got no face. Yeah, it turns him around yeah. to look at him. Yeah, in the and face it's the same. Like just the back of his head. Flips him. Flips him. Flips him. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, and um, Mary also rocks up, and this is where it starts to turn into a party with Ruffalo. Um, they drink, they smoke weed, they dance. Patrick um, leaves because yeah, this is where Patrick. Mary doesn't like, like Patrick. No, he doesn't like. She doesn't like him, and well, yeah, Stan's pretty happy for him to leave. I think so. They just got one on ones. They also reveal like, oh, there's no waking up, Joel. Like it's impossible. Yeah, like they're ju- right. as we. As we foreshadowed, as we blatantly said, <laughs> yeah. the two of them are like jumping on the. They walk. In fact, they seem to make a point of walking across the bed to get <laughs> yeah, the other keep, side. Yeah, yeah. Like, get, yeah and ra- he's just out of it. Rather than he? walking carefully around or treating him with any respect at all, they're just nah. walking back and forth over him. Again, adding to that, like, this is a bit of a like backyard operation thing, right? Like, yeah. anyone could do this sort of almost. <laughs> You know, this memory, take, take away someone's memory, it doesn't really matter. Just stick him in a slow cooker and <laughs> just walk away from it kind of thing. Put a colander on his head. Yeah, he's he all good. Um, so Joel starts to re-experience these memories of Clementine as they're a race. Um, and, and it's interesting because these memories are kind of, uh, you know, that after that memory of her not remembering him at the bookshop, it's... It's really funny that he goes into it, it gets a bit detailed and it seems, I really get the impression like the memories that he's experiencing, they, the first one, if you remember, it's, she comes in late at night, he's all antsy, she's drunk um, and they, they basically just have an argument, you know, yeah, she's saying, oh, you know, in, three in the morning, three in the morning and, and, like, and she's like, oh, you're so boring and you know, oh, what, you're probably thinking if I fucked another guy and, and he's like, that's not, you know, and they have this fight. And I'm she not le- thinking that. I know you did. Uh, yeah, like- yeah, yeah. And she throws the keys and you get you get a distortion in the memory. Like there's two doors, like she walks out one door and it's the same door, you know, it starts to happen. 
Um, and he, he flees after as well in the car to apologise, and that's where you get that street scene. Yeah, because he um, clearly never caught up with her. No, he never... And, and she... You know, the car keeps changing, all this sort of stuff. And it's where you learn that she had damaged the car yeah, as well. She's so the she, one who hit the, the fire hydrant. Fire hydrant, yeah. Then that's sort of also, like, we see more memories where... And they're disappearing, but they all seem... There's a, just a theme, because there's a bunch in a row, but they all seem that to be that they're basically the relationship was not happy. Like, you know, they're, no, they're arguing the, they're over... they restaurant. Yeah, they, yeah. They, they argue over um, the food. They argue over, like, he doesn't want a baby in the markets. Um, oh, and he, make, well, he makes a comment says, are you sure you'd be able to handle that? Yeah, yeah. Which I thought was a, a reasonable question, but not well... Placed. No, not well played. But again, that's what happens in relationships because yes. we're just we're not scripted. We're just yeah. saying things. Unfortunately, <laughs> you know, basically she partied and drank too much, and he was very withdrawn. He was getting of, less and less yeah involved in her quirkiness. Yes, as he starts to reach, however, earlier, the, the, it's almost like again the relationship is going backwards. The memories do start to get a bit happier. And they, they start to have happy moments, you know. And again, so it's, again, like all relationships, you kind of have that honeymoon period and then maybe they do start to dwindle off a bit. But because we're going in reverse, we've had the nasty stuff, so they do start to have some happier memories. And he does have a realisation suddenly that he doesn't want this to go. And I think that's the... the they're in... Um, oh, is it Times... No, not Times Square. The, the big famous... Is it Central... In New York, the big air, um, railway station or whatever, and they're on the floor. Oh, that's right, yeah. Yeah, and, then, and he's kind of like, quick, run. Like, we've got to run, 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 and everyone disappears around him, and then they do disappear, So she, and she disappears. Yeah. Um, so so there's still memories are deleting. So, yeah, back then into the room, and, and Surrey's right, like a lot of it, we start to have this effect, which is really cool with the spotlighting. So we start to have also like spotlighting yeah, on the memory. I, I so really like that. The edges it... are all dark and things are disappearing. And you, you also pointed as well, like the camera work being much more handy cam, shakiness, uh, rooms as well. The, the So we had the spotlight and then rooms like going pitch black. And, and, and really he, even, in, that... even in Central Station, let me just say it because I just mentioned that, like when he does say let's run, you see people disappearing and the spotlight goes on them. And even Central Station is dark all around them. And I, I really like that spotlight effect. It, and it it threw a really hard shadows and everything. Yeah. And it gives you that feeling of like dreams mm. where there's this one central bit which is really clear. But if someone says, oh, and what color was the yeah, sky at the time? No you go, I don't even know if it was the sky. Yeah. <laughs> like that wasn't important at yeah, all. In that's this. right. And that's this where he's, he's rushing about the place with this spotlight on him. And he passes by himself, crossing the street, carrying the garbage bag. Yes, you know, but, that's right. Yeah. But that you don't see him. You just if you're not paying close attention, you don't notice that's it. It's just running across this street, mm. and just where it hits, he gets hit by a car or something or other, and yeah, then yeah. suddenly the memory vanishes and he changes to a different set of memories. Yeah. So there's yeah, there's some cool kind of changing of the sets and the changing of the lighting uh, happening there. We cut back and this is where Stan and Mary are having such a good time that they just literally start having sex, I think, on top of him, don't they, really? Yeah, well, basically, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we don't see that, but we see them sort of like post-coital, smoking, drinking, whatever, and, you know, talking about um, doing the job of deleting the memory. And 
um, yeah, but it's, I think they're on that sofa bed that he was sleeping on. So yeah. they kind of, you know, had sex on the edge of the bed or, or whatever. Um, and so <laughs> it's interesting. And uh, when we cut back then inside Joel's brain, um, this is Clementine is actually you, you, what you said before. It's like, is it breaking one of the fourth walls or whatever that suddenly she, he's saying to her, Oh, you're going to be deleted. Uh, and she suggests she's the one, which is interesting, yeah. isn't it? But I guess it's his brain, you know, so it's his version. But she says, well, why don't you hide me in like other memories that don't involve me? And so he sort of has this moment of like, you know, why don't you, she says, why don't you wake up and tell them? And he, he open he tries to open his eyes. Yeah. He's, well, what am he, I supposed to do? Just lie down here and hold my eyes yeah. open. And he does it. He does it. And he does it for a second. But it doesn't. But what it does do then back where Stan is is that it does. It causes some sort of glitch where the memory, <laughs> the hairdressing machine, the colander yeah. fritzes a little, doesn't it? And doesn't and loses his memory or loses where he is. Yeah, he goes mind. off the map, as it were. Yeah. So that causes Stan to then have to call the boss, the the doctor, um, to come and and help, uh, which he does. You know, then he starts coming down. Back in uh, Clement Howard, yeah, Howard, who who rest- who kind of arrives and restarts it. Um, so then Joel, they, they've got they, they, him and Clementine are talking about. Well, where can you hide me? And she says, "Well, there's this great memory of my crotch. You liked my crotch." And, and then we had sex on the couch. Yeah, we had sex on the couch. So they're already there, and then that room starts disappearing. I think maybe we do cut back to Howard, and he's like, "Oh, I found them again." Yes. Um, so let's but then go he's like, do it somewhere else. Yeah, let's have sex somewhere else. And then he like flashes, and it's him as a kid under the table, and Clementine is like the neighbor, um, and they sort of joke about the situation. And then, but then the funny thing is, it's like Joel. He's a kid, right? Yeah. Like he's, he's a four-year-old, like and he's saying, yeah. and this is where he gets, and this is where you get that bit of empathy with him, where you yeah. go, oh, this is why, first of all, this is why he likes Clementine, mm. and also why he has problems, is because he, he's not getting attention. He's basically got some problem, mummy issues. Yeah. His mum doesn't pay enough attention to him, like, and he's, yeah. he's hides under the, the counter, and... You know, never he likes gets, being under the counter. He never gets looked at. You know, why yeah. is nobody looking at me? Why does no one see me? Yeah, and uh, and that's what I guess you you can immediately I could immediately tell. Well, Clementine did see him. Mm. Like he was, uh, as we learn later on, he was sitting up on the steps by himself eating his barbecue while everyone else was partying down the beach. Yeah, and she came up and just spoke Started to him and like him, yeah. and took his food and yeah. ignored his. And- apparent desire to be left alone yeah and saw him and it's what she does on the train as well right yes. like she confronts him and basically so, it, yeah. so that starts to make sense then that yeah. okay so that's sort of what he needs that's that's his damage that he's trying to repair with this relationship yeah which as we know that's not how things work out mm. and they do break up later on but the um the, the scene also then moves from there into the sink where he's getting a bath in the sink <laughs> And yeah. he says, like, uh, he's he's happy there because he's being, you know, I guess he's getting full attention of his mum mm. at that point. And they're singing Oh My Clementine, yeah. which is interesting because when you cut back to the start of the film, she actually makes that joke. Don't make any jokes about my name. And he's like, sorry, I don't know any jokes. And she goes, you know, Oh My Darling, Oh My Darling. In this actual memory, the mum is singing Oh My Darling, yes. Oh My Darling. 
which tells you something, doesn't it? It gives you a clue about that the start was not the start. Yeah. No. I mean, I I've, I got that from the uh, dented, uh, from the hair colour. And then when, yeah, when she says she crashed the car, it's like, mm. oh, no, okay. Yeah, it starts to put the pieces of the puzzle. But yeah, there. so... And so it's quite nice, this sort of flashback to his childhood and, and it was incorporated there. So we do see that there's reasons why he he demands to have attention paid to him. Yeah. But then, and that's the funny thing, is the reason they actually broke up with you, his first moment is because she didn't seem to be paying attention to him anymore. Mm. Uh, and, well, you know, so he was losing what he was gaining from that relationship. Yeah. But it seems that Clementine also has lost what she was gaining, which was someone to put up with her, I think, and tell her she's pretty. Yes. Is it, didn't she say something like she'd yell at the dolly? Or was that Kirsten Dunst's character? That was Mary, no, wasn't it? Mary was saying she had this dolly and she'd shout at it saying, you're pretty, be pretty, just be pretty. Or is that... Now, I see my memory's broken. No, that is um That is Clementine. Clementine. That yeah. is Clementine, yeah. yeah. So, so she had a very insecure childhood. Mm. And so so clearly she probably was getting a stability out of uh, old Joel, Joel yeah. who was not telling her off and not putting her down mm. and, and not making fun of her. He wants attention and she just wants to be kind of... Treated nicely, treated normally, normally, which nice. to her is weird. Yes, but he doesn't. He also he, but then he wants her to act up. Yeah, because her acting up is kind of more like it's standing closer to the sun. That's what he wants. He yeah. wants the glare of the sun. She doesn't want to be the sun anymore because she's always pretended to be the sun. Not a healthy relationship. No. It's not going to last. <laughs> but but they'll keep coming back to this circle, so it's fine. Um, and in this, so yeah, and they, they sort of kind of get to a happy moment with then the other kid and the killing the hum, hiding humiliation. Remember? Yeah. And he's like wanking, and then <laughs> that was, and, so, that was so funny. <laughs> yeah, and she's like Joel, Joel. And then the mum comes in and she's oh, laughing. We'll talk about this yeah. tomorrow. Yeah. And Joel's like, and oh. then and then there's also uh, him killing a pigeon or something, and she's a little girl. They kind of succeed but then they don't they still disappear out of those yeah. memories so then it's the last memory he has of her which is the day on the beach and we we learn about that we we yes. see that what you were just describing so the fact that he was uh diana never came to the beach he didn't really want to party on the beach so he deliberately hang hung back and then she still came and reached out and she eats the chicken. She takes a piece of takes chicken off his plate. And he's like, it was so intimate that you just like grabbed a piece of chicken off my plate. So it kind of hooked him, didn't it? Mm. That was the hook for him. Uh, and then as we said before, so then they go to this house and she breaks into it. And he's, again, it's not what happened. It's the memory and the memory's starting to be deleted or whatever. And so it's very confusing. There's a There's a sequence here that becomes extremely confusing. But he admits that, he should have stayed. He, he, you know, he he doesn't have anything else to hold on to now. Yeah. Because he didn't stay very long in the house. He he fled the house when it actually happened. Yeah. Which is again, if you've never seen the film, it can be a bit confusing in the timeline because you can be like, well, then did they ever have a relationship? Like, it's hard to think of. You know what I mean? Because yeah. it's like, well, if he didn't stay in the house, how did they? 
progress their relationship after that. Yeah, I, I, I found that funny because it sounded like that sounds like, you know, the, the point where they broke up. Well, this is my biggest mistake was the mm. fact that I left you. Mm. And, but that but was, that like was a, only a, when they met. That was when they first <laughs> met. So, yeah. yeah, okay. So how did they, how did their relationship go? We never, we don't really know, do we? No. We've never really shown their next step. She, she must have reached out to him or whatever. Yeah. Jumped, yeah jumped on him. Right. Cause <laughs> well, she, she, well, she works him. in a city near where he is and yeah. he goes in there from time to time. So yeah. Must have come across it. But anyway, there we go. But there's a great sequence as well, again, which is very trippy of the house crumbling, there's water from the ocean, and then he's in the car with sand up to his neck. Yeah. Beach sand. And then he's in his bed and there's beach sand. It's almost like the beach, actually, in his apartment. There's a, there's a little picket fence that's been kind of flooded with sand. Um, and and there's also her kind of flashing. There's the kid memory, again, that kind of flashes. There's that icicle thing that they've laid on like there's this whole bunch of weird memories right mm. like really really weird um something we probably didn't mention there is a plot point here where patrick has gone to her and he's he's given her the little thing that joel had bought her and she's a and bit she's confused like, this is the most beautiful thing how did you even know this is what i'd really love yeah and then she takes him also to the ice uh where him and uh, sorry her and joel were laid out previously and but but she doesn't like it there with him. No, it, um, it totally creeps her out. Yeah, he creeps her out. And uh, so, yeah, he, he's... Well, one of the nice things about that little locket that he Patrick gives to her, which was what... That was the present Joel had bought to take to her to, to, to apologize. Yeah, yeah. Which, when she does open it, she goes, wow, this is exactly my thing. It's my... Mm. This is really thoughtful. Yeah. And you go, well, yeah, so it seems that Joel does actually know you quite well. Yes, yeah. Which is, which is good because I struggle with presents. <laughs> yeah, I met you that time when you were trying to find something and you were uh, talking about you skateboard know what, wheels, skateboard, skateboard um, tape, grip tape. Grip tape. I, I found a company that does customs. Grip did tape. that go down well? Yeah, skateboard, yeah, it's good. Grip tape. So okay. that was a good present. White white background with her. No, but was it a good present? It was. It was good. Okay. That's the main it's thing. Good. It's got her personal logo <laughs> on it. Well, then you're good at presents then, sorry. What's the problem? Yeah, wow. But there's every year I've got to come up with a present. <laughs> there's another birthday? There's another one coming up soon. Oh, no. Right, got... Start thinking about some skateboard accessories. Oh, I ain't got nothing. Yeah. We'll <laughs> see. We'll see. That the problem is not so much getting the present for you. It's just going, oh, God, it's your birthday. When was that? Yesterday. Oh, shit. Happy or birthday. tomorrow and it's 12 o'clock at night. Uh, what does the petrol station sell at this time of night? Well, she would accept chocolate. <laughs> okay, well, there you that's, go. that's an easy present then. That's fine. So Mary and Stan and Howard are in the room and Stan basically excuses himself and goes, well, uh, you know. The boss is here. I don't really know. Yeah, I'm I'm, kinda, I don't really do anything. <laughs> I'm kind of feeling a bit dumb right now. Yeah, yeah. And so he leaves and Mary stays. I was expecting her to excuse herself and sneak out yeah. with Stan. But she stays and she's got like this quotes of a quote book that she mm. quotes and one of them is by pope alexander oh sorry alexander pope mm. and it's really good that he that that was in the script because it made me remember who did this quote so i could look it up later yeah and and this is the where the name of the film comes from yeah which is uh, i i can't re- recite it now i could turn around and read a bit of paper with it on there but but uh yeah it is it says basically um 
if you're if you've got a nice clean slate of a mind, you're going to be always happy and it's easy. Yeah. And yeah, um, how is it goes? Oh no, that's that's really good. It's a quite a nice quote, but he already knows it, he does. which is unusual because it's not. Who knows Alexander Pope? Like, if anyone listening to this show has ever heard of Alexander Pope, Hashtag let alone Pope. can remember any of his quotes, he was a poet of some repute, apparently, quite some many years ago. So Mary, as she's doing this, she's there's a little bit of flirting going on, and then it seems like there's a little bit more flirting, doesn't there? And yeah, she it, kind it, of she she kind of it moves very quickly. Really, yeah, she passes in really good. Again, a woman. A second woman in this story that is aggressive, right? Sexually or, you know, whatever. Yeah, quick, she's just, yeah. She's taking the lead, I suppose. I shouldn't say aggressive more. It's just she's just taking in, the Inappropriate lead. kiss. Yeah, which is normally men. Um, and Howard's wife has actually just kind of rocked up, happens, happens uh, to rock happens up. Happens to be standing out in the street and can see. see through the window that their passion... And um, she's furious and sort of Ruffalo gives the old <laughs> signal, Hong Kong. <laughs> and, um, and of course, they run out and the wife's had enough and she says, well, you know, this is all sort of, you know, it's over, it's over, it's over. And he's like, no, it doesn't mean anything. And It's a one-time uh, thing. It's a one-time. Well, it happened once before with Mary. Yeah, I, I always find and, that that's going to be the weakest thing. It's a one-time thing, yeah. like, there's but not really that like it's not so much that it has happened even just one time it's the fact that it's happened it's happened at all yeah, which yeah. means even if it never happened yeah there's still the rift there's still the break there's still that's right a distance yeah which is formed well because the question is why did it happen to begin with right like that's always the thing. Like, yeah. if if you if you're married or in some sort of relationship with someone, and then they go off and kiss someone else, or you know, more than that, that that's actually the outcome of the fact that there's something wrong yeah, to begin with. Like, it does, it's too late. That's that's what I mean. And yeah. the thing, my thoughts in this point were going toward: Has he previously wiped his wife's memory? Because mm, wouldn't that be a good little trick for a doctor? That would be interesting. And <laughs> and why hasn't he? I mean, honestly, he's uh, made the mistake here, hasn't he? <laughs> because it seems to be a, it has to be a consensual thing. Because uh, you've got to have your mind mapped consent, and all the rest of it. Sorry, consent. <laughs> and yeah, and we find out there that Mary had previously had her mind wiped, and she's yeah. like, "Oh, what? That doesn't seem cool." And yeah, so it comes out. The, Tape then or later, anyway, later. So Mary goes off. Yeah, so the reveal there is that she tried to pass him and all that happened previously and that, in fact, she had asked to have her memory wiped. But yet, as I said earlier t- tonight, it seemed like it's her urges have come back around. So maybe you can't really wipe love away or lust yeah, away. There's or, something you can't get yeah, rid of. You might get rid of the memory, but it it's still there. The feelings so, are still Again, there. the reason that it happened is still it's there. It's still there, yeah. Okay, so here is Alexander Pope, not Pope Alexander. Pope Alexander. How Pope happy Pope. is the blameless Vestal's lot? The world forgetting by the world forgot. Eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. Each prayer accepted and each wish, wish resigned. Very deep. That's all I've got is just a quote. Yeah, It's a book, book of quotes I've got. Beautiful. It makes beautiful. me seem smart. It does. It does. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Yes. It's yeah. always interesting in a film when they sort of quote something like that, I think. 
Yeah, it's I mean, it's an interesting. No, I mean it's it's basically saying, uh, yeah, how nice is it? Vestals being the virgins, it's yeah. someone who's never had a relationship. It, in the context of the poem it comes from, or the play it comes from, Eloisa, who's the character, is saying this because she's got a, an unrequited crush on this other dude. Mm. And so she's all messed up. And she's going, how, how nice it must be for these virgins, like the nuns in a nunnery type of thing, mm. where they've got uh, this spotless mind. They don't have the yeah. impurities or they're, they're not sullied or tarnished by lusts yeah. and love. Yeah, they they can they can make prayers. All their prayers are sort of nice and accepted, yeah. and all of their wishes uh, can be given over to God, and it's fine. Yeah, well, I suppose isn't that interesting? Because then it's like again what we're just saying that with Kirsten Dunst's character that, and and then Joel and Clementine that you maybe you can't get rid of that. Maybe a spotless uh, mind is not really available. Yeah, like is it is it ava- is a spotless mind actually possible? Because you know the poor old nun sitting in the nunnery is looking out there going, "Oh my god, I want a root! I want a root <laughs> so bad." But there I are, think you need to do that with a bit of a voice and and a bit put on a wig and and just do it. A oh, bit I more want a root! <laughs> I want a root so bad. Appar- I, apparently, I've become Scottish. <laughs> <laughs> All nuns are Scottish, apparently. I, I did. I did once uh, hear this lengthy interview with nun a nun here in Australia, which was a specific order where they most of the women that are in this nunnery and this is modern 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 day nunnery. Um, and I. I was, I think it was out of Victoria. They all must have at least one route before they join. But most of these were... It was a nunnery that then they commit themselves and they do like silence, Ooh. you know, like forever. And they all live together in this house and they're all committed and all this was having this head nun that they they interviewed. She was allowed to talk, of course, so she's their head honcho. Um, but yeah, like they, most of the women she was talking about have come to them... You know, and they don't. Once they come and they commit, they don't talk about their past. And she's like, you know, you, you, any someone might have come from being a prostitute. Like they don't know. They never know because mm. they don't talk to it. They once they once they kind of go past their initiation point, then that's it. They're accepted, and that's it. You know, they hand themselves over to God or Christ or whatever, and and then that's it. You know, like there's no going back. So they might have had, in your words, a root. Might have had a jolly root. All <laughs> uh, roots and then gone, you know what, uh, let's give this Jesus fellow a crack for a few years. Yeah, well, I, I can I can see some. Uh, you know, if I could just sort of sit and do some gardening and read, you know, read. do a bit of writing and reading. and Occasionally go to a school or something and help out little kids. You know what, though? It would be really hard to run a podcast. It'd be impossible. With that vow of silence thing going on there. <laughs> but I'm sure there's other nunneries where you're not, where it's not silent. You could do a podcast. You know? They probably positively require you to talk. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so let's get back to Joel, but we're going off on tangents here. Joel wakes up and his memories of Clementine are totally erased. And he wakes up at the start, start of, of the film again. Yeah. And we, we do get a brief synopsis of the start, a run through. Mm. We see him running for the other train and jumping on. Yeah. We see him on the beach. And then we've, we finally get to the point where he's dropping her off at her place. And she said, no, no, I wanna, I'm so tired. I want to sleep at your house. Yeah. Which is a weird thing. He's like, well, we're here at your house. We're like, no, I want to sleep at your house. And, and I'll go get my toothbrush. Mm-hmm. And that, that's where at the start of the film, I was thinking, 
Yeah, this is this is moving way too fast. <laughs> this this would be putting the hairs up on the back of my neck, going, "Ah, uh, this I, I'm going to get murdered." Keep sometime. your own bloody toothbrush. <laughs> I'm going to be murdered pretty soon. But she does. She goes up, gets her toothbrush, and he finds. Or and she comes in with a mail. And, and Patrick also knocks on uh, the window. Pa- Patrick knocks and says, "What are you doing here?" Yeah. Uh, what? What do you mean? I'm just waiting for my girlfriend. Yeah. Why are you here? Huh? I don't know. And Patrick kind Patrick's of pissed off. Wanders he knows off. It's all all done and dusted for him. Yeah, so <laughs> she jumps in the car and she's got the letter from Mary, and she opens up and there's a tape and, and like she reads it's like had your memory erased and they're both looking at each other and that's really freaking weird. So she pops the tape in and she's talking and it's Clementine asked you know, why yeah Clementine talking or why do you want your your memory erased and mm. she says well, it seems that like it started okay but then I was just I found out I was just always pissy I was just always irritated and I just wasn't happy with myself yeah. So, just want to get rid of it. And naturally, this yeah, hurts Joel, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it's a nice beat in a in a car where you've got two people possibly just falling in love and then you've got this... Revelation <laughs> that they've had a bad relationship. Yeah, yeah. And, and, but she's, she's just detailing what she doesn't like about him and it's like, ooh, awkward. It's a, yeah, so yeah, there's not really much they can do about he, that. He kicks her out. Yeah. Or they have a bit of an argument about it and she gets out, whichever way you want to look at it. And he, he goes home and he finds the same mail, which uh, he, he picks up and pops in, uh, is listening. And yeah. Clementine, Clementine comes, comes in while he's listening. And yeah, you can hear him saying that what he dislikes yeah. about her. And it's kind of like, and this would be a very surreal thing considering you've got no memory of having a relationship, yeah. but you're basically hearing like the the we, couple's counselling sessions yeah. of each other, you know, type of thing. Well, you're hearing these terrible things about yourself from someone that you might feel for. I can't imagine that would be a very nice thing. I'd be very, it would be a lot to deal with and yeah. process. So, understandably, of course, they separate just there and yeah, wander off. <laughs> and This relationship's done. It's just kind of like, yeah, I could... And I think even the strongest of minds would have to sort of say, I'm going to need a couple of days to process this because this is all too weird. But old Joel, he perks up and he follows her out and tracks her down and they have this final conversation they do. where essentially it boils down to, well, you heard what it's like. And he says, yeah, but so what? Yeah. And and I, and I, I agree with you, hopeful there because it's yeah. also the case of, well... You've got this information now. Like you can listen to each yeah, other's tapes and you true. go, oh, I'm, you know. And I like to think that when, certainly when Joel, we only see from Joel's memory of loss, we can see that maybe he's forgotten about Clementine, but maybe he's learned a bit more about himself. Yeah. Maybe that has stuck in there as well because he does, he learns in there that, yeah, okay, the times he's, you know, um, the difficulty he's had with Clementine has been him not accepting Clementine. Yeah, that's right. And no doubt when Clementine has had her memory erased, she probably had a similar thing as that yeah. it's it's up to her. The, she's the reason why she's unhappy with yeah. Joel. Um, is He's not particularly doing anything different to what he was doing when you fell in love with him. That's so right. If anything's changed, then that would be kind of up to you to deal with. Yeah, so, and I mean... 
it, it's also that Joel realised halfway through deleting the memories that he didn't actually want to delete the memories. So there's kind of a, a even a little bit of hope in that, right? Like, even though we don't have the greatest relationship in the world, I kind of want to hold on to that. So it, it's exactly what you and I said. Like, why would you delete the memory of your dog? Because surely your dog hasn't been that bad. Yeah, yeah. I didn't like, have a bad relationship. But here, with your dog. even like with a bad relationship, he's realised halfway through. Well, hang on. Yeah, I still want to hold on to her. Like, I want to hold on to those memories. And um, and so maybe that's the thing going forth. That's sort of forth in the future. It's kind of like well we can give this a crack again because why not? But it's also like, well, yeah, I've realized that I had a lot of attention issues from my parents and I'm seeking that from you, but maybe that that's wrong of me to do that. And what, how can we go over that? You know, yeah. learn, learn from our mistakes as humans. But I think the film, I reckon it's even more basic than that. It's just basically even just saying that, you know, in relationships, it's not Kodak perfect and, you know, well, you got to accept that, really. Well, in life, you know? in, life in general, yeah. If you're going to enjoy, it's ups and downs. oh, and it's a, it's a Disney um, Inside Out movie, isn't it? <laughs> in order to enjoy the good bits, like there are going to be bad bits. There's going to be bad bits, yeah. But but yeah, maybe they contrast nicely. Mm. Like, if your life was just all the good bits, what would that be like? Really? Well, you they're, 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 that's the dilemma. If your life was all the good bits, how would you know they're good? That's there's the there's the analogy well, and, to bubble and your that's, mind. That's that's a thing, yeah. Where I where you sit there and you go, oh, geez, not porridge again for breakfast. Yeah. And then you, you someone else down the road be going, you get breakfast, <laughs> you lucky yeah. bastard. I remember yeah. I had breakfast once; it was so good. And you're like, oh, bre- yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you're always getting well fed and looked after and you're happy, you just you know you don't even realize yeah. what benefit and privilege you have and if someone says oh well, you've got so much benefit you go no I don't I've had to work for everything I've got that's right right you don't know what you've <laughs> where you're coming from and so if you only had good relationship parts yeah yeah you go oh this relationship sucks it's so boring yeah and someone's looking at it going well hang on you're, you're laughing and you're telling jokes and you know you've got someone to cuddle you talk and you cuddle and, and you share interests like what yeah, so yeah, you have so dull I want a bit of spice <laughs> in my life you're like yeah, yeah. no you don't <laughs> this is just a little uh, you know, a little you know hint of that blessing slash curse which is may you live in interesting times you know yeah. like, but, you also, really. but also like the version that we are showing of Joel right like we were saying before like Maybe she is a lot of trigger warnings that you're going to get stabbed in the middle of the night. And maybe she will stab you in the middle of the night, Clementine. But also, Joel is too dull. You know, maybe Joel needs to pick it up a notch. You he know does. What I mean? like, like, he does have like, to pick it There's up. no point just sitting at home on the couch all the time. You know, And you've got this beautiful woman with you that wants to go out and party. Well, maybe you need to take one for the team and go party one night a week with her. And that might make her happy and then she doesn't want to go party all the other nights, you know? Yeah, so that's you, a compromise. That's a relationship, isn't it? Sorry. Ah, oh, damn. Oh, yes. Absolutely. So what about... That is the end of the film. Let us know what you thought about uh, Eternal Sunshine of a Spotless Mind. And where does it go on your ladder, sorry? Mine. 
My, 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 no, you can go, you can go wherever you got it queued up, or should I go? We've got to do Galaxy Quest. I keep doing these voices. <laughs> yes, we do. Okay, on my ladder, it comes in at number 20, which is about halfway, a little bit under halfway. I've got it after Replicas and before The Darkest Dawn. So I sort of see, you know, we talk about something like Replicas. Again, look, the idea of the ladder is a little bit of an order of watching the films, not necessarily ranking best to worst or anything like that. It's more just follow this order and you'll have quite an enjoyable sci-fi viewing experience. So if I look at replicas and then you come to, which is more, you know, action-packed, alien, you know, big kind of explosions and you come into something like this, which is more in the mind and a little bit kind of inventive in the filmmaking style and then you go to kind of like more of your YouTube down the track you know, cameras of Darkest Dawn and kind of following this little mm. hodgy-podgy group in England uh, fighting an alien invasion. I think that would kind of be a cool mix, those three films like that. Yeah, well, I, I work at the top number five. between Ooh, you've skyrocketed up. Between District 9 and Infinity. Ooh, okay. And, Exciting. And I, I can see if there are similarities. Infinity is, is a bit in the mind there. and yeah. But I really like the idea of having lobster... District 9, Eternal Sunshine, Infinity. You're going... It, it's that sort of lobster and Eternal Sunshine are similar movies. If you watch them back to back, you might get a little bit overdone. Yeah. A bit overcooked. But you chuck in a District 9, and by the time you finished Eternal Sunshine, you're getting the whole brain warping things. Infinity, Infinity had a lot of that sort of same... It did. Time perception shifts the order of operations turning around, but it had a bit, a bit of a religious slant to it. So It did, didn't it? Yeah. I, cool. I really think... I, I like putting those movies together as a way of... I don't know. It's sort of, I guess it reveals a bit about my taste in these sorts of things. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think this is a great film, this one. like It's something that's very different. I've seen it quite a few times, and I really think that um, what you and I are describing, this whole idea of forgetting your memory <laughs> of the film is really a powerful statement of the filmmakers, you know, like, cause it's kind of, it's, it's, we are having the experience of those characters. It, it sort of reminded really me cool. a little bit of the discovery too. Yeah. It, well, I, I is, saw a lot of connections in the discovery. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which had a, a similar sort of memories and lives and, and so on. It's quite, quite good for that. Yeah, Definitely. So, what science do you want to talk about? Sorry, I mean, I would imagine talking about memory loss. Oh, absolutely. Let's talk about rewriting memories. <laughs> rewriting sounds because even more there's, exciting. There's a lot of interest in being able to do this. First of all, you've got the point that people lose memory from injury or from disease, like yeah, Alzheimer's. Yep. So, uh, is there a way of sparking memories back, maybe finding them again and resurfacing them? Re-growth. Maybe. Maybe you want to uh, talk about a criminal proceeding and so you've got to talk to eyewitnesses and are they really very reliable? And no, they're not. It turns out they're not. No, they're terrible. And uh, the other one, of course, is um, uh, PTSD and yeah, trauma. Right. Yeah. So if you've got yeah. these yeah. terrible fear memories which yeah, trigger nightmares and, and terror, yeah. then... What on earth can you do about that? Yeah, how do we get rid of that? Sorry, I want to know more. Well, there's lots of different ways, <laughs> and there's 
the um, you know, uh, people are looking into use of you know, psychedelics like yep. LSD and psilocybin uh, and in, um, say, MDMA, yep. uh, which is your ecstasy. Yep. Because these, these are drugs which will uh, disassociate strong pathways yeah, in your definitely. mind. So, yep. so like LSD in particular, it breaks down a lot of your typical neuropathways and so you start having atypical thoughts. Yeah. Which is how you, you start seeing sound and hearing smells and you know, you get this synesthesia thing going on and it also means that your memories come up but the association between the memory and the pain can be weakened through therapy whilst undergoing um, a very low-grade trip. Yeah. But that's not what interests me because what no. interests me here is non-drug-related uh, sort of memory stuff. And there's a fair bit of work here by a couple called Jason C.K. Chan of Iowa State University and Jessica A. LaPaglia, also of Iowa State University. They've been doing research on the way memory works and the way memories can be changed. They've been doing this for a few years. So I've, I've got some uh, papers here from them they've published. They've got one, they've, they've got sort of two directions they've gone in. One is talking about traumatic memories which have uh, an associate... Oh, sorry, no, that's Professor Johannes Graf. Oh, not the Graf paper. Uh, The Graf paper. (laughs) Well, there they're talking about traumatic memories, but it's based on um, the effects of memory retrieval, context processing on eyewitness suggestibility, and impairing existing declarative memory in humans by disrupting reconsolidation. Right. So, PTSD, I don't have it, thank goodness. No, no. But one part of the theory of its mechanism of operation is that you form a memory and memories are more than just, you know, sites that you, you know, images you, you remember that you are remembering your entire emotional state as well. Now, normally the emotional state starts to drain away the feelings that you have, the way your body actually exists, the state the situation it's in normally drains away. Yeah. So you end up with being able to describe a situation. Like if you remember a really nice ice cream you had, unless you've got that super memory, there's yeah. some people who have like super memory. They and they, do, yeah, there's some people. But you remember the really nice ice cream, you go, yeah, that was really nice. You can describe that it was really nice and it tasted good. But if you try to remember how your body felt yeah. and what emotions you felt at the time, yep, yep, it's yep. the further from the you know, more distant you are, the less you can. You can only report, yeah, it was good. Or, you know, like... <laughs> it tasted nice. A dog jumped down and barked at you. Oh, I remember that. Oh, gee, that was pretty scary at the time. Yeah. I don't... Yeah, it doesn't... It was so nice, I, but I didn't get a big enough scoop. But you don't but, really remember the sensations of it. But in PTSD, it's like you get a cross-wiring, basically, the... Uh, emotional state and the memory state get locked together so that when you get triggers, if you like, which cause recall of that memory, you also get a recall of the physical state. So if you have some trauma, like you've got a car accident or you've been attacked or you've watched some horrendous thing happen to someone uh, or something, then that memory gets locked in there with that fear and that horror and that terror and that effect and and they, they become inseparable. And mm. it's very difficult to undo it. So old uh, Chan and LaPaglia, they well said, okay, so you can stuff up a memory during the what's known as the consolidation phase. 
and this is where PTSD sort of forms. So you have the experience, and it's in your short-term memory, and you have that initial, your body is feeling everything. Yeah. But then it goes through a phase called consolidation, which is where it settles into your long-term memory, and it, it forms permanent pathways in your brain, right. including your physical state in the case of PTSD. And when you recall memory, every time you recall it, it comes up into your short-term memory, and then it's sort of dropped back in. It's reconsolidated, so it becomes reinforced in there, and you get a stronger remembering of it. Now, the interesting thing, the theory they put forward is they're going, well, okay, we know that when someone has something in short-term memory, and you can try this, say you've got to try and remember 10 numbers, mm. and you're saying the numbers over in your head, and someone else then starts counting other numbers at yes. you, <laughs> and you just and you, you get to like three or four in, and then you're going, shit, I can't remember it. Okay, Definitely. what they've done is they've disrupted your consolidation phase. Right. So they, they have thrown in some confusion interference yes. Yes. while you're trying to drop it into your permanent memory and, yeah, you, yeah. and you can't do it. So we know that happens. So when you remember things later on, you also have this reconsolidation, which is you, you pack it back away and that strengthens. And that's why the more often you remember something, the more you know it. Yeah. Uh, and you know yourself as a teacher i'm sure you have come across this or been taught something similar that yeah yeah making someone do something 50 times over they'll remember it the 51st time yeah but can we disrupt reconsolidation in the same way and thus break this pattern and stop the memory from being strengthened in fact distort it yes we can cause a disruption in the um reconsolidation phase but to what effect how does this go? And so they did this, the effects of memory retrieval and context processing on eyewitness suggestibility. So what they went and did, they went, well, let's not deal with PTSD people because that's probably rough and gets, it's hard to, hard to get through the ethics committee that you're going to do experiments <laughs> of this sort. So what they did, they got a whole bunch of people and they watched videos. Mm-hmm. They said, here, watch these videos. Uh, it's like a bank robbery and a, uh, I don't know, something else. And so they, they got a whole bunch of people made them watch this, this video, which was a series of events. Yeah. And then they got them to, they did a test on it. And so this is like the recall, reconsolidation. Mm. And then what they did, they, they went and one lot, they gave a narrative that was distorted. So then they said, oh, okay, so here's a summary yeah. of the thing. Outside the city bank towers, the city tower bank, uh, we see you know customers coming and going, and surely the head teller is telling the employees to do such and such. Yes. But the reality was, it wasn't called the city tower bank; it was called Central City Bank. Yeah. And but the narrative goes on and just swaps just a couple little yeah, details yeah, like yeah, that yeah, here yeah, and yeah. there. Yeah. As and then the people go back. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Yep. No. And they're following along the narrative, and at the same time, they're recalling. Yeah. All right, because they're following the narrative, they're recalling, and they're reconsolidating. And then you're going to go, okay, now we're going to give you a test and ask you about these things. And yeah, sure enough, what was tending to happen was more often these false um, misinformation was going yeah. from you know, the name of the bank to what was Shirley telling her employees. Yeah. And, you know, did the bank robber pull a gun or did yep. they pull a shotgun? You know, like. Yeah. You know how many robbers were in the bank, and when did they run out? All, all these sorts of details yeah, yeah. could be swapped around. 
then they they got another group of people who watched it and then they made them do the quiz to, to consolidate this memory and then they did a test with misinformation in it so the test was like you know um, ask the wrong questions yeah ask the wrong questions you yeah. know yeah, what did the fifth gunman do yeah and then the person goes well there were only four gunmen yeah and what they found was that it actually didn't um, distort their memories mm. in fact strengthen their memories yep because it, like the contradictory information in a test format mm. just didn't gel it yeah. didn't work yeah, right. to recall their memory and then reconsolidate miss with it reconsolidate it so they're looking at this for eyewitness testimony so obviously uh, an eyewitness for a court case could be months or even years after the event yeah that's right plenty of time for misinformation to get in there and in fact some unscrupulous uh, people during interviews interview not so much in asking questions so when police or journalists interview and they ask direct questions and try to be misleading you just get confusion people went no what so when you pulled the gun out and you held up the bank I didn't pull my gun out I didn't hold up a bank yeah yeah but if they sort of said you were walking down the street and you walked into the bank and the person's going I did that I walked into a bank yeah and you you pulled your gun out and you shot someone yeah I did I pulled my gun out and then you know like that's probably too strong a change initially but you can imagine if you get this narrative over and over just changing little details little details eventually you could probably talk someone into believing that they committed a crime definitely and they will then confess wholeheartedly believing they committed a crime yep and this has been shown but what it also means though is a means for treating traumatic memories could well be and there are people who are furthering this investigation definitely and without drug interaction because some people don't want that or they react poorly because one of the problems of course is um, you could give someone drugs and then the fact that they know they've taken a narcotic can mess them up yes you know so you maybe want to try a a non-invasive technique such as uh, talking them through their traumatic experience slowly but slowly changing little details at a time until finally you get a narrative which is basically the event but without the horror. Yes. And they've tried this with video games. So they found that war veterans coming back from tours of duty who are a bit shaken actually perform better after playing war games. Yeah, right. Like like um, you know, Call of Duty type shooting games yeah, yeah. where they're in a military style conflict and you think that would be triggering PTSD. Yeah. But because they're perfectly safe and they can reload the game and their their friends start, are just yeah. at a computer over there and though in the game they died, they didn't really die. Yeah. Then they're sort of confronting similar memories but they're rewriting them, yeah, reconsolidating right. with being oh, cool. this isn't this isn't terrifying. Yeah, yeah, it's horrible to watch this carnage, but but it doesn't, you know. Yeah. Um, there's an understanding. Destroy. Rea- yeah, there's an understanding of reality versus fiction. Yeah. yeah and I was thinking, how this could apply to a bad relationship. Very true. And I'm not talking about it, one that actually causes traumatic PTSD here, because there are those <laughs> those sorts of relationships. There is those relationships. I'm more talking about the sort they had here, where yeah. it was a bit tumultuous and a bit over the top. And it ends badly. We kind of do it anyway when we recount things to our friends. Yeah, yeah. And our friends could well interject with slight variations. Definitely. You could either 
sharpen the disappointment, the the anger, or in fact lessen it. Yeah, I don't know that you could go to the point of totally deleting an entire relationship as if it never happened. Yeah, it's interesting, but isn't it? Maybe, but you can definitely rewrite the truth. Maybe, yeah, you can certainly you can rewrite it enough ways that you can do it. And I think we we tell ourselves these stories as well. Yeah, yeah, we where do. We, we go over events and either you know reduce our blame in the event, for yeah. example, is a common yeah. thing to do, yeah. or increase the blame of someone else or attribute things. So just something to be mindful of. And and thank you very much, uh, Chan and LaPuglia, for yeah. your research into this. Continue going because it's very interesting. Yeah, definitely. And especially for those returning soldiers, like it's a big call out to them what they go through and... I've heard a lot about this, you know, uh, post-war, you know, memories and the experience that a lot of the soldiers go through and, you know, it's lifelong pain, you know. So these sort of experiments and that, they do need to work on, you know, to make Mm. it a better return to normal living for a lot of those soldiers. So, And we're talking about crimes and things. Yeah, Yeah, as well. Being held at gunpoint, for example. Yeah, that's right. Some people bounce it back from that. Other people, it's it's too much. But it, but isn't it true? A lot of the and I don't want to go down that path. But like a lot of that mental health stuff, we've talked we're talking about it these last ten fifteen years. Whereas even before that, they never talked about it much. So yeah, these conversations they have to happen. These experiments have to happen so that we can progress in better into the future. Yeah. So let us know. Have you got any research about memory deletion? Uh, <laughs> or, the, or the use of or, uh, virtual reality because they're, yeah. they're looking at using virtual reality to reduce chronic pain, mm, for example. Interesting, oh. yes. Um, I, I must say, I just did say a little thing that an old, a really elderly Japanese man had who had sort of retreated and having some mental issues and Alzheimer's. He used to drive a taxi and then his son got him onto computer games of like racing cars and he suddenly came back to life. Like his mind recalled ah. and it really restored a lot of his memories and stuff like this. So, yeah, uh, who knows? This is the kind of research they need to look into a bit more. So let us know what you thought about Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Do you have a spotless mind? I know I don't. I have a lot of weird memories and trauma and weird thoughts and ideas in the future i I learned a new term in my brain that never stop talking and therefore have to do podcast after podcast and all sorts of things so if you know how to shut any of that up let me know yeah let me Uh, know too because sometimes (laughs) no (laughs) that's right um and yeah hit us up about the film festival submit a film make a film let us know if you've got any problems you know where to find us on all our socials let us know what you thought about episode 59 which does mean that we are heading into a classic for next time yeah my, my wife has donated a classic but we'll save that one yet because I, I, I like this next one here which is a Terminator okay we're we'll getting to the Terminator it's another Arnie he <laughs> Arnie only... seems to be a huge influence on our classics well he he has been fortunate well, enough to wander in and the Terminator is, is a great classic movie because it introduces some real, like concepts and ideas it's kicked off like a, a franchise yeah it also Massive. elevated uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, yeah, man, yeah. who should superstar. not have he should not have been a superstar, 
but he got the right movie at the right time. And it <laughs> he did make a few good movies other than just this one. Uh, not before this. No, or before this well, one. We'll talk about it next time. We'll talk about it next time. We'll talk about it. Hercules in New York. Oh my goodness, man! <laughs> yeah, but you, but look, it's a superstar movie, and it, you know, he, what does he have? Like six lines or something? Like I think it's like I know n- people nine talked, lines. Yeah, people yeah. have talked about this. Like it was a perfect role for him, as in it wasn't about dialogue. It was just about being a really big yeah, early guy. We're, we're gonna have to talk about this next time because <laughs> it's so many things about this there movie. Is, excitement. There is, there is, and I just did see a little thing with James Cameron talking about it. Something about Terminator, so I'll talk about that next time. Let us know. Hit us up on our socials, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, all of the places, email, website, and let us know what you thought. And stay tuned for episode 60. It's a classic next time. See ya. Bye-bye. Bye.